0: Uh, more than me, perhaps not more than Henrik, but certainly more than me at least. Yeah. So, so
1: you were more a band guy than a soccer guy?
2: Yeah, 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 at that time, definitely.
1: Like, like 12, 13, 15, that age? or Yeah, uh,
2: up until, yeah, exactly, up until maybe like, uh, no, even up until university I started, I still played a lot of instruments, I think, so. Um, cool, but mostly like guitar and bass guitar and uh, yeah. stuff like that.
1: And and what repertoire was? Yeah, you know, were you a rocker or were you? Uh, what what was your sort of genre when you were fifteen?
2: When I was fifteen, it was more more like that. I, I used to play in a band called Clown Butchers, so that, Th- that was like, must be grunge. That, right? that was more grunge, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, but then I moved more into kind of pop and indie pop style of oh.
1: music. Yeah. And then, yeah, like we all. Sometimes life comes in between and we st- stop playing. Mm. And now, yeah, exactly,
2: that's essentially what happened. And then during COVID, uh, my uh, my uh, wife's brother lived with us for a while, and he was playing uh, a lot of kind of a, a keyboard and synthesizer. And then um, um, I just felt that that it was a very interesting thing, so I wanted to start doing that as well. And then um, I bought my first synthesizer.
1: And is this a combination of one, wanting to get back to music, but then also the like? Like the whole electronic or synthesizer I've always, phenomenon.
2: Yeah, totally. I've always loved like electronics, um, mm-hmm. uh, and I've been—I studied physics, so like that. Already from there, I had that interest, I guess, and uh, kind of understanding how circuits work. And and I've done a lot of kind of small soldering projects, building small robots and stuff like that before. So it kind of felt very natural and interesting to me. Yeah. But so that's like music and and signals Electron- converging ah, right nice yeah
1: but now now then now the nerdery starts mm-hmm. so okay you're going to buy a synthesizer and you have an opinion about electronics and like music mm. so how do you think about what synthesizer you, sh- you should pick up now when, yeah, i wanted to
2: do, i wanted to go like analog right oh, i you wanted, wanted to go analog. yeah so i bought uh oh you mean now or when you meant the first synthesizer
1: the first, synthesizer yeah, the first went, synthesizer,
2: Well, i wanted to buy an analog synthesizer i didn't really know it. i did some research and then I found this uh, kind of mini Moog uh, copy from Behringer called. And what is Quality. a Moog? Like? So Moog is like a super super classic synthesizer that has been around. And when was Behringer
1: this then. golden era for the Moog?
2: Oh, it, it's it, early. It's like, like the Pesh mode. Uh, yeah, like exactly. Everything, uh, <laughs> everything from like Donna Summers forward, right? Like, yeah. 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 So.
1: And why why analog? What was the intriguing part? Because to go a little bit, uh, I guess, vintage in terms of uh, how it the sound is made.
2: Yeah, um, I don't know, I, I, I kind of, um, I like the sound of it and the kind of uh, natural feel to it. I think, there's, I think there has been a wave in general that it's kind of uh, getting back into fashion, right? People like uh, the greediness of it and the yeah. kind of, uh, uh, yeah. The live feeling, um, like um, instead of the more kind of harsh uh, kind of FM tones from the digital. But I, I like combining them. I think that it's cool to do both, like doing weird kind of digital stuff and sending it through analog filters or something. Yeah, like because that,
1: right? I the, the keyboard that I bought that mm-hmm. we have now mm-hmm. here in the studio for the after-after party, <laughs> nice. I, I went cheap, right? So I went completely digital, but has really good sampling mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. old mm-hmm. analog... Yeah. Um, sounds mm-hmm. right but that's not the same right it's, i'm cheating yeah you're cheating a bit <laughs> i think um, it's a price point topic as well I, I must point yeah out. totally
2: and i think a lot of the sample <laughs> sample-based stuff is is super super good it's more about that when you start wanting to really transform it then uh, then it either needs to be no, computed I, I, in real time so, or so i can't really it. do it because no, exactly, you can right.
1: really yeah. experiment with the analog waves of yeah, exactly it's like
2: a wave signal right i even have an oscilloscope. kind of when you get okay a of so you started worms. building
1: your modules yes. on top
2: No, I'm not, yeah, exactly. I'm buying buying modules and kind of (laughs) connecting them together. I'm, I'm not building them yet. We'll see. Do you mean you have like
0: a proper, like a analog uh, oscilloscope with, you can actually see the waves and the in it? Yeah. Oh, really? Oof, that brings you back to the, this the is cool stuff,
1: bass. right? So yeah. how does that work? So you have this, you have the bass sound in the, in the, in the, in the same. So you have
2: like a, a, an oscillator, right? That essentially does some kind of waveform.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it could be like sine or square or triangle or whatever, right? And then, uh, and then you can kind of um, do different things with that. So the most classic thing is to send it through a filter and uh, a VCA, a voltage control kind of amplifier mm-hmm. that can kind of, you know, lower and raise the volume based on your signals and then uh, and then you have some kind of like uh, way function that that is applied to that so for both the filter and the and the uh, amplifier
1: so so how how does it work like you have your you have your synthesizer and you sort of have a way to get the line out from the core sound in the in the keyboard into the oh
2: Oh, no the keyboard is actually just like a control signal right so you have a have a voltage coming out of the keyboard Mm -hmm. uh, that essentially is plugged into the oscillator, ah. which then controls the the key, right? Ah, yeah. But then that would only be like, bah, bah, which is not very interesting. So you need to do something with that. And that's why they have the kind of amplification and the filters and stuff to ah. kind of wow, wow, wow. Depending <laughs> on <laughs> very nice sounding. <laughs> so cool. Yeah.
0: I think it's funny how, you know, moving from analog old style kind of instruments to more digital, mm sometimes have surprising effects like electric guitars for yeah. example right in the in beginning they didn't really sound like a proper guitar so to speak and they had this kind of um, what do you call it the distortions or you, you know? had also yeah. all the pedals you have for I mean, you know when you play the electric it makes this specific sound the pedal
2: stuff is very similar to to, 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 to this kind of component yes. thinking yeah. right yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah but, but yeah. i was thinking
0: more like you know it actually does not sound properly like a proper guitar oh, but yeah. after a while it actually makes it, it has their own value so mm. yes. there is a point of, of having that kind of sound coming from an electric guitar so mm. going from a, a distortion or something that you don't want to actually being something that you do want to have yeah but right? an, an
1: electric guitar has a several set of microphones and mm. those microphones has has different there are different styles you have the humbug microphone and, or a humbucker or whatever they are called. i mean, like different styles, and then you set them in, in, in and how will this microphone pick up the sound from the, you know, play, play pinging the, uh, the guitar string mm-hmm. and all of a sudden now when you have two or three different mic uh, mics that picking up the sound from different parts of, of what you're doing is set to more and more treble or bass, whatever mm-hmm. distortion and stuff like that. You, 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 comp- you actually, you're creating a new sound yeah. so you're not hearing well, you,
2: the g- you're essentially creating your own kind of oscillations yes. right with, this is with what the you're string doing. and like that's very similar to what the oscillator module so, is doing
1: so the, yeah. the, the, the original Telecaster mm. from you know 54 yeah. or whatever that is mm. the Fender Telecaster when they started you know it's the first part of that and then you have the all the guitars the electric guitars has different variations on that and then on top of that you start adding your pedals mm. to do even more right the yeah. wow wow pedal right exactly or a delay or a or reverb delay or yeah. something yeah, yeah. so uh, to be honest i've heard people play guitars with a pedal that makes that what you're playing into complete synthesizer sound mm-hmm. so you can almost get to i i can't play the keyboard but i want to have this kind of electric sound mm-hmm. and you don't even know it's a guitar anymore mm-hmm. But it has a mean, very I've
2: seen people on YouTube do that, like with uh, like play electric guitars and then put it into modular yeah. synthesizers and kind of yeah. fuck up the signal. <laughs> up, right? uh, it is super interesting. I haven't really gotten to that yet myself. Uh, if you're yeah. a
1: keyboard, a uh, bass player, yeah, exactly. a guitar player, really you, yeah, yeah. You, you need to merge these two. Things yeah, totally, But well, then AI is coming
0: into synthesizer as well yeah. uh, quite a lot. What, what was yeah. the name of this um, Google Magenta thing? The and N synth or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, I haven't tried that, but uh, well, was that. Of, what
2: was, was it? it? It was some yeah. kind of. There's some kind of uh, like screen with different, essentially different embeddings, I guess, and then you mm. kind of morph between them, which have different kinds of. Feel to it. What's right? the purpose?
1: What's the uh, generating music? Generating music or sounds. Yeah, so or you can sounds. have like
0: samples being generated by the AI and yeah, way. Yeah. So
2: I think you can have like uh, you know, some by one corner and you mm. know something <laughs> like pop in the other, and then you can <laughs> merge between them in some way. Mm. At least that's how I interpreted it.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like uh, another way i guess to, to mm. just on the fly generate kind of samples that you can play with mm. in some
2: synthesizer mm. i guess it's pretty cool actually are yeah, oh, we yes. gonna have a
1: good we did, after after work today. We, should <laughs> we should have that here right? yeah i mean like <laughs> I, I got i got excited yeah, should, now because i have a, I yeah, a keyboard <laughs> i need to get some of that shit. yeah yeah
2: we did we did a uh, hack day project once at uh, uh the ect actually doing um uh, like trying to uh, to generate music from or sounds from uh, like data that we had in our database. Oh. It uh, mostly made really weird sounds, but yeah, it was interesting.
0: <laughs> it's like the the guy from uh, Spotify one uh, back in the days. He um, he released an album called Sounds of the Office. <laughs> And he just went and recorded different stuff like the coffee machine or the toilet, you know, and flushing and <laughs> it actually became a super popular album. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's a <laughs> weird idea.
0: Cool. Yeah. yeah. You could, you could put that into a synthesizer as well, mm. flush, flush, yeah, totally. Flash, and then totally. you can play with the flush, 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 flush. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Wilhelm. Bil- mm-hmm. It's um true pleasure to have you here. Um, we met in a couple of times in the past, mm-hmm. and, and you have such an interesting background, and, and what you do today is extra interesting, I think, for many reasons. Um, but how would you describe so yourself? How, who is William von uh, Eierenheim? name. sorry. Ironheim. Yeah, it's all right. Thank it's you. all right. Sorry Everybody gets it wrong. Ierenheim.
2: Um Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm uh, uh, kind of a... Data science, data engineer, uh, kind of a person that has been uh, uh, kind of interested in in AI, and machine learning, and data uh, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, of course, I didn't know that at the start. I started like studying physics, and I thought, um, you know. Quantum mechanics and that kind of stuff sounded interesting. But then I quickly kind of realized that I I re- really liked algorithms and statistics. And then I it kind of to, naturally led into... I have
0: to just ask, what do you think about quantum computers t- these days? Uh, is this something you're interested in? Is this something you believe will have a big impact? That's I, I, your current. Well, thoughts? this is a
2: very, very interesting question. I, I'm definitely interested in it uh, as a concept. I, I don't think I'm following it enough to kind of have an expert opinion on it, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's super interesting. I definitely think they they can have a role to play if mm-hmm. uh, some of the kind of physical limitations turn out to be solvable. Yeah.
0: If I ask you a very simple, small question, let's say that you had uh, 100 billion euros to invest. <laughs> in <laughs> from a, a question yeah from a european union kind of question mm-hmm. and you have to choose you now you can choose to conduct research in ai or in quantum computing
2: how would you invest the hundred i think you would do it in ai 100 or Well of it 50 50 no. no. <laughs> and we would well, do i all didn't of know it. you were <laughs> i didn't know you were allowed to split it up but then <laughs> that made me a bit <laughs> splitting yeah,
1: yeah. Mm. But you're not allowed to split it up all in AI. Good. Potent- Potentially,
2: can have some kind of merge between them two. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, it, it isn't but, a but this different. is a real
0: question, by the way. Yes. And and I actually do not agree with how some of the current investments in upcoming EU research mm. programs right, right. is being made. Mm. So it is actually a very relevant question. Mm-hmm. And I think you answered it correctly. <laughs> 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 Perhaps <laughs> not 100%. <laughs> no, 99 no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but they will merge at some point, of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, think so. that's, that's. But really
1: it's, aren't we talking about what time horizons to invest in? Because quantum computing yes. is like, okay, I'm, I'm putting up all my money on the third horizon.
2: Mm. Maybe like we need only to- trying to solve the like, climate crisis with fusion, right? Or something. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: I mean, it's also a question about, you know, we can easily see AI is pra- of practical use today. And mm-hmm. it's so easy to see from the tech giants and so many other cap- companies. Mm-hmm. But there is not a single, I would argue, mm-hmm.
1: practical use of quantum cor- 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 computers today. You have your physical limitations still that you need to solve.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have some basic algorithms for solving some smaller problems. So that, that's a small problem yeah.
0: on decoher- decoherence <laughs> and, yeah. and other things and scaling them up that uh, uh, I actually have my problems, own th- Small problems, small problems. I have my own theory about that, but let's not go there. Okay. Sorry. But that's, I think it's an that's interesting- That was the, the first rabbit hole, yeah. So, So
1: for the producer Goran, two minutes on quantum computing, stop. <laughs> 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 nice.
0: Cool. Okay. So you studied some uh, physics um, in Lund, right? In Lund, right? Yeah, right. exactly.
2: Yeah. And what happened after that? Um, then I uh, started dating my wife uh, uh, and moved to Stockholm and mm. um, I needed something interesting to um, to start working on. And then I uh, started at Klarna.
0: Right. Oh, you started at Klarna.
2: Mm. Okay, cool. And um, um, What the, year was this, by the way? <laughs> 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 Was it? You probably have it there, like 2013, maybe or something
1: yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. We had some uh, friends from July here at, uh, yeah. in the podcast. Yeah. No, yeah. And, uh, two or three, four or five episodes ago, mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm. Good after party, by the way. Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> uh, I had to leave, uh, so I. Yeah. But oh. uh, but I think it's about the same time, right?
2: Yes, exactly. So uh, I used to work with Eric there. Okay. He was already working when I when I started and mm-hmm. uh, he was there when I left. So <laughs> we uh, I had a, like a 100% overlap uh, yeah, for me uh, with Eric. So yeah. uh, but that, we worked that, in the same team. Yeah. Uh,
1: so you work with credit? As well, exactly, like credit, I work with credit risk. risk yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, kind of uh, understanding how to apply uh, machine learning to that problem and what we can do with data and uh, kind of crunching a lot of numbers. And, and, and we,
1: di- we actually didn't ask Eric in full How were you organized at that point in time in Klarna? We did a few reorganizations
2: during the time we were there, Uh, but uh, uh, essentially, kind of, uh, we had uh, one team that was um, first called like applied analytics or something like that, and Mm -hmm. then changed name to predictive modeling. And we were doing primarily the the kind of uh, models that tried to predict the risk. Uh, so, and also kind of, of course, all the feature engineering and stuff that goes into that. And then we had an engineering team that were working close to us that kind of helped us with the implementation and uh, kind of moving between, like merging the batch and the real-time layers and stuff yeah. like that. And,
1: and I have a small angle on this question why I asked it, because mm. fresh from the last podcast, we had Anders Neumann in Spotify, mm. and mm. we talked, I mean, he's, he's engineering manager for search, right? Which mm. is one of the most... Uh, the coolest team in spotify <laughs> yeah. uh, you know yeah, yeah of course <laughs> I, I said it don't don't blame Manish. i think so <laughs> uh, but he w- we were talking then about you know what's the difference between the feature team and the uh, platform sre teams mm, mm. did you have the same kind of thinking around that in, or yeah, were you completely full stack responsible for the stuff you were doing
2: um no we were not completely full stack responsible and we had a lot of kind of organization issues in, in round that in, at some point i mean there was a lot of things that went into a credit decision right so mm-hmm. it was not only the models it was also kind of with the decision policy on top of it ah, yeah. like uh, given the risk uh, how much risk do we want to take in regards to how much like we think we will earn on this purchase and so forth right and then mm-hmm. uh, um and then there's also a lot of other kind of angles to it like mm-hmm. understanding uh, then kind of where all the data comes from and, uh, mm. and also kind of, um, what the impact would potentially be when you release things and, uh, and change. So there was a lot of, uh, different kind of teams involved in releases, which is. Not or great from a kind of continuous develop- mm. delivery it's friction, standpoint, right. yeah, yeah. Many
1: teams is friction, yeah, whatever you like it or not.
2: So exactly, it was not uh, like the, these kind of cross functional
0: teams, it was more separate teams that have their own. Yes, at that, at that point, I know that I've changed.
2: We did like uh, some reorganization during my time there, and then they did mm. another one after I left. And now I think it's completely different. So, mm. uh, but uh, uh, it's not easy, no, it's definitely not easy. We, but we do like. You know, all of the models that essentially did the same thing for all the different geographies and just like only focusing on those things. We were also very involved in the decision policies and kind of simulating things and, you know, all of these. But did you have engineers as well in that team or was it main? No. Okay. So they they were like a sister team, like sitting next to us. So so kind of helping us. Yeah.
0: I mean that would be an interesting question as well for your current company as well in mm-hmm. how to organize you know, as data science totally. versus engineering et cetera. So let's let's uh, keep that on
1: as, as a topic and on it, its own where yeah. we can draw conclusions from different parts mm. of yeah. your career mm-hmm. and our careers.
0: Mm-hmm. But also, Klarna is you know one of the top I think startups if we call it that uh, in Sweden mm. and it's extremely successful in in various ways. Uh, how why do you think it worked so well for Klarna can you can you think of some reasons for the success it had from a monetary point of view
2: I I think the, the, the they solved a lot of the friction in regards to uh, that's essentially their slogan right <laughs> <But> they solved <laughs> a lot of payment. exactly but it's a this I think they did solve a lot of the friction in, in online payments in mm-hmm. different ways over time right uh, mm-hmm. it has kind of evolved into what it is today and that's also kind of embracing that change and really kind of riding the the wave of simplification I think it's like super smart and that's something that they have done really well Mm
1: -hmm. I I would take it one step further I would argue like a disruptor that they are they are raising the bar of smoothness that we are expecting as a hygiene factor and and um, what we are doing today you know when Klarna started to do it in Sweden Mm -hmm. uh, you know it's it was off the chart you Mm -hmm. know in terms of what is now that's how it's done right Mm. And so I, 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 no, think I totally agree.
2: I mean, before that, it was very, but very, weren't they, also, they, they were, payments. they
1: were, they were sort of you know, from a regulatory point of view, they were, they were sort of pushing the bound, I mean, like they, I think some of the stuff we are doing now was yeah. almost not really possible regulatory mm. no. five years back. No, totally.
3: Yeah.
1: Could you claim it it would be more of a a
0: data-driven risk analysis, real-time risk analysis that they were doing that perhaps additional banks were not doing? No, totally. I mean,
2: yeah, that's definitely the case as well. I mean, when you look at... How a credit card works normally. That's mm-hmm. like, like assessing the risk on a credit card is not a new thing. That's been around for ages, right? Mm-hmm. But Klarna kind of split it up on the purchase level, which gives you a lot more data, right? right? Yeah. Then you know exactly what they're purchasing at which time of day. And like, and uh, this was like,
1: not done in Sweden before Klarna, in my opinion. No, right? no, 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 no. Definitely mm-hmm.
2: not. That's what I was definitely a new thing. And then, then again, I think you can take a lot better kind of decisions then given all of that data and be more kind of. Uh, you know surgical in your in your way mm-hmm. to 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 handle the risk
0: so going more granular and trying to understand mm-hmm. that from a more real-time i guess with, with data and AI, yeah, yeah real-time yes.
1: purchase decision yeah.
0: Yeah. data and AI. Yeah.
1: but yeah. can i can i ask you this is a little bit a uh, loaded question um how much would you say the whole analytics around credit and credit risk is part of the core of succeeding with this business model
2: well this, this was where i was working and thought so. was the most important in everything right <laughs> loaded yeah very loaded uh okay. so yeah. you thought you you were in no the core i was like, uh, like at the it's core. probably a lot of people that are in the core of the, of the company but the, uh you were I guess definitely you them, the yeah i was definitely in the core at the time and I, but i think uh, that's definitely not everything if we only did that we Klarna would definitely not be where they are today so i think like having a uh, a nice kind of Product orientation and understanding like uh, market fit and kind of driving marketing and all of those things are so super but, uh, important. But, but maybe
1: well. we could do like the top five or like credit uh, analytics is key. Market fit and the marketing has been absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And I think yeah, totally. Uh, and that, that, that has to be something, especially since I left. I think. Mean. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and, and, and then maybe even the UX and uh, the experience, mm. how smooth it is also. Mm. I mean, like. Yeah, that was the already product, there. The Product right? interface mm. is actually really important, mm. I would say. Yeah, R2. totally.
2: And uh, yeah, exactly. And they, th- that was kind of a smart move they did early as well. Like instead of pages having the. Diff- the whole checkout experience kind of only themselves, Klarna kind of took that upon themselves to make it nice. Right. So, and it was also easier for the merchants to just have like an iframe or something. And just kind of.
0: And, and before we leave Klarna, I just yeah. have to ask a question from a more technical point of view. You know, mm-hmm. Having worked with Erlang, for example, myself. Yeah. Um, in Campania and other companies. Um right. right. What, what do you think about the tech stack in Klarna and, and the, you know, switch they made perhaps from Erlang to other languages. Were you I involved mean, in that in any way? Or, uh, uh,
2: it, was, it was definitely not my decision, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, I think Erlang was a pretty cool language. And mm-hmm. in regards to kind of handling a lot of traffic, I, I really understand the rationale behind building it in Erlang in the first place. Mm-hmm. Also, if you want to do it in a cool language and, you yeah. know, functional and everything. How would you describe but, Erlang, by the way? So, uh, Erlang is like a, a, a functional uh, programming language that's kind of geared towards uh, uh, parallelization really well. So, it essentially has a message passing system built in in in, in the kind of language itself. And, and
1: for people not familiar with uh, with with Airplane or mm. with Erlang- the different languages, mm. but has heard about some of the other bigger languages, mm. what level would you argue similarities for Airline to other? Other well-known uh, languages. Uh,
2: it is, it is a bit different, uh, in regards to it kind of being, first of all, being functional. So functional, mm-hmm. there is a lot of, there's a whole kind of yeah, world is, of functional languages. Yeah, like so you have lists, right lists are lists. the kind of original functional ones, right? But then you have, uh, then you have like Haskell and, uh, O'Caml and, uh, like there is a lot of them, F sharp.
1: So, so we are talking about first, I'm, I'm, I'm the newbie. So I'm trying to mm. ex- understand this with having no clue. So functional languages is like one bucket here, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. So the, in a functional language, you essentially have a, a function as the first class citizen rather than having like a, class or an object mm-hmm. so uh so then you can kind of save functions and make functions of functions and you know yeah it's essentially it so uh and then uh um so that's one part of erlang and that's a whole kind of language language class right uh, So
1: functional it, language class is the first and and what do we okay and then
2: the kind of what's special what's special for erlang is uh, this essentially first of all it's a very kind of limited language you have very little kind of Apart from this, then message uh, distribution kind of idea, where um, uh, where essentially you can create actors. Mm. So the whole I- idea and the kind of have to have small actors that does something, and then you can send messages to and from actors, mm. uh, and then that re- kind of that uh, lets you parallelize things in a very easy, nice manner. Because that's essentially what you have to do if you parallelize things over like between machines or in larger networks, right? Let's so let's you just do that by the sign up front.
1: But is is it like as, as an idiotic question? Now, if if you go down the path of a functional language and and with its limitations, is it mm. kind of drives you into a philosophical path of how you code or how you think about totally, your totally.
2: How about what, what, uh, 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 an old friend of mine who used to say when like, when we were studying in in university, like I'm used to doing like Java and those kind of languages. You so you uh, like um, think for one minute and then you have to code for ten minutes right to solve a task. Whereas when we started doing like uh, uh, functional languages, I think it was at the time it was like I need to think for 10 minutes and then I code for like one minute so yeah. it was like very interesting yeah
1: good good
0: good. I mean I guess also you know Erlang has some famous examples as well I mean mm-hmm. you're trying to avoid you know having side effects and, mm-hmm. and it really simplifies you know concurrency management mm-hmm. when you want mm-hmm. to do stuff in parallel mm-hmm. and you don't have to think that much at least about locking problems and deadlocks and live locks and exactly. all whatnot and they also have, what was it? It was Facebook Messenger that was written in Erlang. I think at least at some point in time. Oh, I don't know if, that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. It kind of makes sense. I think.
2: Yeah. yeah. I think <laughs> they searched out. And yeah, where, well.
1: what happened? Where, where are we now? Leaving Airline and going where? Uh, you, you mean uh, language
2: wise? Yes, in Clarna. So, in Clarna, in, in Clarna did a switch, which a lot of companies do. I think when you start looking at uh, uh, more kind of big data and, and, and things that you start looking more into Java, right? Java is very well known. There's easy, it's easy to recruit people that know Java. Not knows Python, Java, but Java. Oh, both. Uh, depending on which kind of uh, s- uh, kind of uh, problems that you're solving.
1: And, and now the next idiot question: yeah. What type of language is Java? Java so is
2: like the, uh, the classic object-oriented. So this uh, is is object-oriented.
1: Oriented. Yes. And how would we define Python? Ooh, I guess, I guess it's, also it's, object-oriented.
2: It's, object-oriented. Yeah, exactly. Less, but
0: less trying, <laughs> trying
2: to be a little bit in between.
0: Weakly typed, so oriented, oriented. Yeah, yeah. But so, yeah. Hmm. I, mean, I remember. When when I worked with oh, a problem with Erlang as well, you know we should mention that Erlang come from Ericsson. Is that? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I was a language Ericsson. right. Ericsson so I felt language. that that was missing but from the discussion. It's yeah. kind of a proud thing from Sweden, but it also had the problem with um, they had this kind of database. What was the name of it that they had in memory all the time? Emacsia, uh, yeah. right? and that was a problem right it didn't mm, uh, kind go into like a super huge computer like terabytes of RAM? that just was to, that was right?
2: definitely a large problem for them yeah yeah, yeah. and the kind of moving out of that was very hard but you not, need a lot of
1: cash or, or it I mean, was no, also
2: it was also not very nice from a kind of it, i guess that bet- depends on how you implement things i yeah. guess it kind of grew into that over time right yeah. but when mm. i remember early my early days there when i kind of Want, when you wanted some data uh in order to be able to train your models and yeah. so forth, you needed to essentially to go and ask the, the, the team then for the, an extraction from the Anisha tables and you couldn't really do that like uh, the way you like yourself, because you were essentially affecting the, the ah, pro environment, the, the right? Which is like
0: oh. you know, it's almost it's like the old nice. Alta Vista versus Google <laughs> things, you know. Alta Vista, Alta Vista went um, uh, super big mainframe, super large computers with mm-hmm. lots of memory, and, and Google went parallel. And yeah.
2: Who won? Yeah. <laughs> it's probably only because of that, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course, only only Google. Co- yeah. Cool. Of
0: the... Well, um, enough about Klarna, perhaps. Um, but then you moved on from Krona. Mm. What happened after that?
2: Yeah, then I then I joined EKT. Um I was uh, I was actually contacted about that. Uh, it was um uh a recruitment firm contacted me in regards to uh, uh um, starting to be part of something called Mother Brain, which mm-hmm. like at, just the name kind of made me a little bit interested. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> super cool. I love idea. the name as well. It's a pretty cool name,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and but uh, I need I need to ask. What is your first idea that pops up when you hear, <laughs> hear "mother brain"? Because I have an idea that uh, mm. resonates with you.
2: Are oh, you asking Anders or uh, me? both? I mean, I'm so colored on that, right? I've been working with this project they, for five years. So, like, when someone says "mother brain," it's like, yeah, my. my I,
1: I think mother. Of course, of course. I think mother. Mm. And what is the reference, mother?
0: I think ma- more HAL 9000, actually, yeah. like the, the central kind of computer yeah. mother brain yeah, that yeah. serves because everyone.
1: I, I was thinking HAL, I was thinking HAL, yeah. but mm-hmm. which in, in one of the sci-fi movies, it's called Mother. I think that is an alien. Oh. In the mm, alien, you know? in mm. the alien movies, hell. What well, I, I was thinking, hell, mm. but I forgot it was hell. Mm.
2: It's but actually an, an old kind of gaming reference, right? So yeah. the the boss in Metroid it's called Mother Brain, and there is also another game for uh, called Fantasy Star, where where uh, kind of also. Uh, yeah, but I, I
1: get this sci-fi hell mm. in in. Mm, uh, yeah. Uh, what's Odyssey of Yeah, 2001 Space Odyssey. Space Odyssey, or when you see, for instance, the alien movies, mm-hmm. they they talk to Mother, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, what, like a hive
2: mind. No, thing and or, it, yeah. or
1: actually they, they they refer to the AI of the ship, mm-hmm. Mother. What's the status? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs>
2: so that's so what then. I'm trying to build, <laughs> Mother Brain. <laughs>
0: So it's, it's like Google's new thing. Did you have a Google pathways? No, I have not actually. Oh, Okay. That's so not good there, but mm. it's like a super big neural network that is supposed to be able to have a thousand different tasks mm. in a single model, mm-hmm. you know, going right. super big, mm. like a mother brain of all or mother neural network of all. Yeah. In, in some yeah. Way. So it sounds yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Anyway, you, you went to EQT and, uh, okay. You were basically recruited there or mm-hmm. you had some mm-hmm. headhunted, uh, yeah
1: exactly yeah exactly I was recruited yeah i was what recruited. was the pitch? how did it happen
2: uh, I don't remember the exact pitch, but it was uh like um you get a lot of these kind of emails sometimes and then uh uh I don't necessarily even read all of them <laughs> but uh but this kind of caught my eye, i think, and that was the first thing it was like i think it was probably the name, and then also I think like uh it just sounded very interesting i was I was modeling uh, people and people who can't pay uh, you know uh, in a way at uh, Clara and I, I kind of this pitch was more like now try to model startups and what makes them successful, and it's kind of just more, really resonated with positive. what I thought it was nice yeah, exactly yeah but the,
0: you started at Mother Brain, Brain directly or did you did you work with some other stuff at
2: EqT? Uh, no, I started with Madeline directly. So uh, at the time, uh, the Ventures Fund, which is like um, the startup kind of investment uh, fund in EKT, in uh, had, had done a kind of proof of concept, uh, essentially building... Um, small tool with uh, with uh, some data sources that, uh, together with a few consultants yeah. or they didn't have any kind of developers in-house uh, so but then they got uh, my boss then at the time daniel roblewski uh, mm-hmm. so uh, and he employed me and uh, a full stack engineer called you Kok. we were the first three to start kind of building oh, in
0: the first three as well
1: when you got hired or oh, what was the sort of mission when the, with the three-man team So what what were you sitting at? So first we were kind of
2: just trying to uh, understand the uh, kind of sourcing within ventures. Sourcing is essentially just finding interesting leads that you potentially could invest in. Right? But, yeah. but Perhaps we
0: move there. I think we need yeah. to have people that don't know what EQT does understand that more. EQT
2: is an investor. Right? Yeah. We have a lot of different funds that do invest in in large different sizes or different kind of ideas of what companies do, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it moves from like uh, being event ventures is doing like small startups, uh, yeah. and then we have a gro- growth fund doing like <laughs> larger startups, and then and then we have the larger buyout funds which essentially buy like a majority share of a company and owns it uh, for uh, uh kind of quite long time horizons and try to be kind of part of making it better uh, and then we also have uh, infra funds which is like doing uh, infrastructure investments obviously mm-hmm. by the name and uh, also real estate and stuff like that so mm-hmm.
1: yeah just so an investment company that that has everything from startup vc to growth vc to which is pretty work. unique yeah yeah, yeah yeah which is the it's the whole it's a chain of types of different types of investments yeah exactly yeah Very so right. Right. and i guess
0: they have the problem of they need to know which company to invest in um. yeah totally <laughs>
1: totally and especially like
2: uh earlier early than especially from the ventures side of things i think traditionally you, how you do investments is that you have a large network that you kind of rely on. Mm-hmm. And then you hear something or you kind of go to a conference and understand and learn more and you mm-hmm. rely on people coming to you and asking for money and so forth. Uh, whereas uh, some of the partners then in the Ventures Fund were uh, coming from companies like King and Spotify and mm-hmm. so forth. And they were more used to doing data-driven stuff. So they wanted to do, do that investment. That was mm-hmm. kind of the idea, right? So uh, so this was kind of uh, uh, core to when the Ventures Fund started. It started just before I kind of like a year ago or two years ago before I started. It was very new when I started. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, basically they,
0: they started their own startup. Within, and within yeah, exactly. Within yeah,
2: yeah. the investment and, and company.
1: And the, cor- the core problem that mother brain is trying to solve? How would you summarize that? What is the core use case?
2: Well, I think originally it was only the sourcing, right? Uh, sourcing sourcing is turns from uh, under, like finding interesting companies.
1: Select identifying from a from a gross list to a short list of interesting investments. Yeah,
2: exactly, right. And I mean, there's thousands of uh, startups started every day mm-hmm. and uh, you can't really follow all of them and understand and so having data on kind of how they're growing and who is moving where and you know all of these things is definitely super beneficial so uh the the, the kind of original then uh problem is to sort and rank those companies yeah. and have some kind of prioritization sort and, and rank well, that's the same same concept, I guess. <laughs> Depending on what you sort on, but if you sort on the rank, then yeah, very okay. much. Uh, uh, but um yeah, essentially, giving the the deal team uh, uh, a way to kind of prioritize between between different things and also find interesting ones that they wouldn't otherwise see or hear so about until it's too one. late. That was the core. That was that the, was the re- core. That was the core. And then then uh, quickly we kind of realized that there we need first of all we need the. The intel from the deal team what's actually interesting, right? It's super hard. Like if you just get that question you need to ask them. And then you ask them a lot of questions. And but after but we realized that we need to get this more in a more kind of uh automated fashion, right? We want to be part of their decision mm-hmm. workflow. Uh so we started building more kind of CRM-like features on top of our databases where both we could kind of present the findings that we had and data and analysis, but also then. Let them kind of progress deals through their funnel and then feed that back into the algorithms so, and so train you, them on. So you get the,
1: uh, you get the false positives feedback loop happening in some ways.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also kind of the true positives, right?
1: And the like, true yeah, positives. Yeah. So you, you basically, you're building in by, by connecting closer to the deal workflow, you get, you're feeding you, back yeah, that, essentially back
2: get in. the deal team to label data for you, right? Yeah, it's great. Smart. <laughs> <laughs> and that, uh, that, um, uh, when, when they do that and that's kind of natural to their work, then the algorithms improve and uh, they think it's better and then they use it more. And, and then you start realizing that there is a lot of other potential. You could kind of expand on this uh, original use case and make it bigger. So like, you do have more data on how companies uh, are kind of uh, uh, working and how they're growing and, uh, and those things. And then also kind of starting to understand like, okay, then it's interesting to look at groups of companies as well. Like how are they evolving, and uh, could you find sim- similar you mean, companies? Yeah, exactly, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, could you find similar companies to this one, which is the su- super Tweet relevant? Analysis kind analysis. Of, yeah, exactly. So th- that was that's a huge, very common question that we've had uh, over the years. Like people just want to have. Can I, yeah, similar companies to, I have heard about this company do we have any other similar companies doing this yeah, we, we
1: lost we lost the race on this one what's the next one <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly
0: okay, so um. it would be interesting to hear more you know what type of data etc but if we just move back I guess you know mm. in the beginning before Mother Brain existed they have to the deal team has to basically do this manually mm-hmm. or through tips mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. you know data they could manually find and review mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they want to have a bit more automated way in in trying to make the decision, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but it's still not like fully automated. I, and please interrupt me if I'm wrong. Um, and then, in some way, you make you basically want to have AI in uh, as a service for humans in some way. Yeah. And and one thing that we've said um, a couple of other times, and it would be fun to see if you agree, is that you know AI and humans are good at different things. Mm. So AI can be good at going through a huge amount of data, like the thousands of startups that comes every day. Yeah. No human can keep up with ev- all of them, of course, but an AI can. Mm. But it's rather superficial in a way it actually va- you know evaluates the company. Mm. But at least it can flag and and highlight and suggest some kind of companies to manually review more. So yes. you can at least remove the the horrible mm. companies directly and focus on potential candidates, right? Yeah, exactly. And so find
2: the hidden gems, which is like yeah, essentially yeah. the the. The core idea of a ventures fund right you kind of maybe invest in a lot of uh, small companies but you don't expect all of them to succeed you kind of expect a few of them to succeed so it's very important to kind of uh, find the interesting ones yeah but but i think
1: the question is isn't this an augmented intelligence type setup or were you going somewhere else
0: yeah i mean i I think in my experience at least the the best examples of how you should use ai is together with humans so yeah ai do what that's good at you know which is going to through the data in some Mm -hmm. way do some kind of highlighting or suggestions Mm. but uh, keep humans in the loop in Mm. some way to do the
2: final evaluation and i mean um, we we have um, uh, there's always people kind of joking about us trying to kind of compete Comp- no yeah exactly kind of the, make the deal team redundant essentially right <laughs> yeah and it, but that's not necessarily the the way the team looks at it we uh, our kind of vision is to give our deal teams superpowers essentially yes. right exactly. so which Good. which i think is essentially exactly what you're saying yes, yeah. yes. But
1: but the symbiotic approach here the augmented intelligence mm. i think you are cementing that when you use the human as the labeler yeah, isn't yeah. that smart? I yeah. mean, like because it means it. This is a real reinforcement loop where the human interaction is not only we are, we are helping him as the superpower, but he is then feeding back to the computer what worked. Mm. I think that's really brilliant. Yeah, in yeah. a in a simplistic way, right?
0: Mm. Yeah, but but labeling all the time is done by humans more or less, right?
1: No, but I mean, I'm, i I mean, like the whole. yeah uh, Maybe I'm exaggerating the importance <laughs> of it, but I, 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 I really think. Good. <laughs> no, no, but I, I think you know we, we are. How many times do we do something and we and we feed something from a CRM or something into the sales guy, and the mm-hmm. sales guy say, "Oh, this lead is shit," yeah, mm-hmm. and they say that and they keep complaining, but systematically there's no feedback loop on the shitty leads where you're complaining to marketing. Mm. And you would be surprised how many companies are truly systemizing the feedback loop Mm. back. Mm. And I'm not even talking about machine learning now. I'm just talking about broken processes, completely broken processes. So from this regard, I think it's a fairly big deal how you're actually using them as part of
2: I think it's super important for us, it's, it's, our it's success over time as well because these people are, like, these people, they're, they're of course, my friends in, in teams, right. but right. Uh, they are super busy. Like, yep. we don't, like... Uh, the deal teams should be focusing on kind of finding uh, and making deals, right? They shouldn't be focusing on labeling. They don't have the time for no. that. They're also super expensive people. Like mm. so and it's also very, very hard to kind of offshore labeling effort because no. you, they don't know what's interesting, right? So You need so, to really
1: interact yeah. right at the right point in time where the labeling, when they're doing their work, you, it, it's not extra work. So you just get it done. Mm. Yeah, it's part
2: of their process. Yeah. They
1: need to do that in order to progress the deal, right?
2: So it's like even even more integrated into their process now. So it's it's part of how they are communicating with each other within the team and I mean more, It's right?
0: moving to um, if we just throw out some buzzwords here and I shouldn't really do that. But you have the traditional C I C D kind of things where you want to have continuous integration, mm-hmm. continuous delivery of software development. But then thinking more of an um uh, ML ops kind of situation. You don't mm. only want to have continuous integration and continuous delivery. You want to have continuous training as well. Mm. So you continuously update the model given mm. feedback uh, when you interact with the system. And, mm. and that sounds like something you're doing. Mm. So yeah. that's
1: right, and right? and but th- I ha- there are two major topics here. Th- you took number one now that mm. you're, you're thinking ML ops and you're thinking how you re- how you actually feedback loop to completely continuously adjust the model. Mm. The other key aha here is that what you're saying is that it's not enough to have the model. I need to find a model that I can embed in their salesman's or now in this, the deal guy's workflow. Mm. So you become data AI software mm. thinking. You mm. can't only think model. No, exactly. you can't do model without data. No, it's And part actually of everything you cannot do it. this. Yep. Mother brain to succeed needs to be in part of their workflow, which is basically whatever their software workflow mm. system they have. exactly, And yeah. you call it CRM, basically, but it's yeah, well, not CRM. It's, it's no, deal, it's not CRM. Yeah. It's their type it's of a de- workflow. It's a deal-making platform. Yeah, it's it's a like, deal-ma- that's, that's what it is. So, so, yeah. so now we have my argument mm. that the transformation is about data, AI, and software. And you can't, if you truly really want to be an integral part of a core mm. process, you can't really do AI without software or data. So I'm trying to force.
2: That's exactly what we're like. We're also not only uh, like data scientists or ML engineers, no. right? We're we're a, a mixture of people, like everything from UX and full um, stack. That's to, the point. to so, kind point. Of, so people yeah. think
1: you can have a central data science team do magic, but wait, how? What's the software dimension? What's mm. the data dimension? I think the
2: UX dimension is so important because yeah. that that's where uh, that's where people who consume the insights yeah. are actually kind of. If, if you can make that process, understanding the, the analysis and the kind of integrating that into their, their their way of thinking about the problem, it makes it so much more powerful, totally. This is so without, without the UX, it would not be what it is today. Either. So
1: so augmented AI means really important understanding for how can I take complex algorithms and present them mm. so it fits with the workflow and the level of data literacy, mm-hmm. For whatever role you're working towards, yeah, and really
2: it un- and really solves un- the problem for for the consumers as well, right? Yeah. It should, should, should not just be kind of slapped on in order to uh, kind of try to do it. And uh, when we talk like, about it now, it's so obvious. Yeah. <laughs>
1: but then we have the data science team mm. on their own, and they are supposed to do magic. Uh, yeah, mm. I, I think mm. this is quite important lesson. Yeah, totally.
0: Awesome. Should we move in perhaps a bit more? How it actually works how yes. look into the brain in yeah. some way yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go That's here. Sure. so uh, I guess the the manual deal team people have their way of evaluating companies totally
2: and it's uh it's a slightly different depending on which font context you're looking at, right. and there's different teams, but there is also different kind of ideas of what's interesting and and uh, uh and that kind of made us organize uh that way, so we need to really kind of understand the process and the and the way the team is working, so we're kind of uh, um, uh, have dedicated teams working towards the different uh, kind of fund contexts. Okay, you
0: have okay, so it's different approaches for different funds yes. that you're taking. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I realize so you can't you know divulge everything, but I'm happy to see that you actually published a paper as well, so we can yeah. speak more about that shortly. Yeah, yeah but, sure. But uh, as much as you can, can you just give some example or some? Overview of how does the actual brain works. What kind of data is it using? What kind of approaches it's do you it's take? It's
2: using a lot of different data sets, of course. And like some, some of it is part of us uh, kind of scraping uh, the internet, trying to find, yeah. find data. But uh, uh, and some of it is, is purchased different data sources. Yeah. Um, and then uh, everything needs to be merged some way. And I think if you if you're used to looking at uh, public market data it's very well structured. Everything is like super easy to use. It's like you have a, the, the stock tickers and identifiers, and it's just like, you essentially merge everything and just do joins in a nice database. It's not necessarily the case when you start looking at more unstructured data and the private markets are not very structured. It's different in different countries and different in like everything is different. Um, and also um, uh, when you uh, um, have different data sets, you need to kind of figure out which which, which company is the same in these two different data sets ah. like mm-hmm. uh, it sounds trivial but it's not
1: but data cleansing is actually a, a key topic here. right
2: right so um so we do have uh different kind of uh, jobs and pipelines and so forth that kind of downloading data from the d- different data sets and then uh, uh, we are effectively uh running also machine learning models on top of uh, uh kind of the merging problems, trying to understand whether or not it's the same, it's the same company, company or person or funding. I mean, or we had the same problem
0: as so. Spotify as well. I mean, mm. just deduplicating the yeah. songs or the artist or the album was a I super, hard. That. Yeah, I I it's super that. hard problem. But what but, sure.
1: but you're saying now, so I follow the stupid guy. We can do machine learning very early in the fundamental data cleansing, data quality, data mm. duplication as well. Th- 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 there's one.
2: There's one thing with kind of you can do it to automate the kind of cleansing and uh, outlier detection and stuff. Like right? we've got like for example, uh, funding round at one point that was larger than the world BNP. Like that's obviously not true, right? So you can have them kind of outlier detection and stuff and try to filter out stuff. We could definitely be better at that, I think, though. But uh, um, but then uh, when it comes to kind of merging, so we we can essentially kind of just makes everything into a similar format and then try to to join it based on this kind of uh, machine learning model output, essentially, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, so you have data from, you know, s- scrape data. I guess, it is it from, like, databases about companies or are you using social media as well? Or are That's,
2: you... The, the kind of, uh, the base data sets are definitely around, you know, companies and yeah. oh, uh, who owns them and uh, who works there and so forth, yeah. Yeah.
0: And are you using like news uh, articles as well or things like that? Or? Yeah,
2: yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, not necessarily that much to kind of uh, find entities. So we don't do that much like a named entity recognition. We definitely could do more there, I think. Yeah. It's a super interesting area. Um, uh, we tend to uh, kind of rely on providers for that. And I think part of it is because we need to do some kind of trade-offs in regards to where we put our efforts on the machine learning problems. There's mm-hmm. like a bazillion ones. So if we do all of them, yeah. I don't think we can focus on all of them at the same time. So, yeah, Of course.
0: Good yeah. point. Cool. So you merge them, you deduplicate them, you clean them, um, and, and you get some kind of... Do you, I guess we have different models for different parts of this pipeline, if mm-hmm. you call it that. Uh, can can you mention some examples of some models you're using to understand, I don't know, news articles or how to do the final prediction in the end in some way?
2: Or- yeah, so, uh, I mean, the, the, the merging models is some kind of uh, uh, like Siamese network that essentially okay. similar to what you do for like face recognition and stuff, mm-hmm. right? You kind of compare different uh, things. Um, uh, we also have, uh, uh, of course, a lot of NLP stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we have a lot of texts. Uh, so uh, uh, we do that to classify the companies into a taxonomy that the deal teams are used to working with. And we uh, we also... Uh, so you know, uh,
0: it's uh, if it's a media company mm-hmm. or if it's a manufacturing company or yeah, whatnot
2: exactly. and stuff but, like so that. But N- uh, br- a little bit like deeper kind of... So, than N- N- that, but yeah. so NLP
1: yeah. style, you can build up a taxonomy that, that allows you to categorize... The, the, yeah, the no, I mean, EG- in, EG- in a way that the deal exactly. So the, the EGT
2: has has this kind of thematic investor kind of concept. So they they do kind of focus on different areas and, and try to really learn them and be part of those. That's uh, the taxonomy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's the taxonomy.
1: Yeah. And here we have NLP in order to sort what is coming in into the right buckets. Yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Super cool. <laughs>
0: And then what what's the prediction in the end? What, what is the final output, <laughs> so to speak? Yeah, but it's different ones, parts.
2: Or? Then I mean, like it, it is a UI mm-hmm. that the deal team can interact with, right? So mm-hmm. the the sector, like we're predicting, there is of course there somewhere. We yeah. we do actually predict like gender on people to understand the, to be able to see like okay, if this is a female founder, or if it's not, and what's the diversity mm-hmm. in this team and so forth. Wow, really? uh, we do. Uh,
0: uh, so that's separate outputs. That so are it's separate fed.
2: outputs, yeah, exactly so
0: being fed to the deal team that yeah. they can review later. Yeah. yeah. Okay and uh and Some then uh, like the, the, score or yeah. yeah exactly that's what you're after right <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs> so definitely the the there is um there is this kind of ranking or, or score to kind of uh to tell you whether or not it's an interesting kind of uh company and then uh uh that's um uh that that's a little bit different uh model architecture wise because we do have a lot of time series data to take into consideration there like uh uh, yeah, the, the number of employees over time for example or uh, what funding has happened over time before you know a lot of those things
0: have you looked into a bit more like feature importance kind of metrics to start, try to understand uh, what we kind do of data sources? Like it's
2: very common to get a question like why hasn't this company got a high score right. right and then you need to be have be able to try to kind of explain that so we've we've tried it the, we do since we have a kind of a, uh, an architecture that is a little bit multimodal. Mm. Uh, I think uh, that's very hard to do in a nice way with with multimodal ones. Uh, but we we try. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Do, do you
0: use some specific like um, this is also a favorite topic of mine. So sorry for going a bit techy here, but uh, but if if you were to have text, for example, as an input, and you want to do some more explainable AI on that. Mm. Uh, do you use one, some spe- specific techniques like integrated gradients or some sharp values, or do
2: you we, we have, uh, have have used uh, um, kind of what was that name you said last In, uh, sharp values? Sharp values, exactly. Yes. We've okay. tried that one. Okay, um, um, uh, and I think it kind of works, for, for, for some of the models where uh, we have like more simple input, mm-hmm. um, it uh, kind of. Um, it's not necessarily as important as the kind of larger models, right. I think. So, we, but there's definitely more room for improvement here as well, where we can explain more. Mm-hmm. But normally we do, we have done a lot of kind of permutations and trying to kind of understand right. like what what is the impact if you if you change this and that, which is essentially what ChatGPT is doing as well, It's yeah. just more smart about it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I think it's an important understanding that. Uh, People are a bit afraid sometimes to use this more deep and uh, black box kind of models Mm -hmm. uh, or Mm -hmm. deep learning models, but and i think you know it's impossible to understand them but in in reality uh, it is possible and Mm. there are a lot of techniques to to do understand them and i think you should always compare to like humans and if i ask you why you think this company would be successful Mm. i don't do that by looking inside your brain right i ask you to explain it right (laughs) that's very true (laughs) and i think we should do the same for ai models
2: wouldn't you agree Mm. yeah yeah totally uh i mean it could be interesting to to understand like what I could maybe ask you, like, what's your reasoning, rate? Mm. So that's probably something that you would want to answer or ask a model as well. Which is essentially what I think we are trying to answer when we say, like, but what if you change, like, uh, the gender to female? Right. Is yeah. it still high score, Like right? yeah. Or exactly. uh, but, I, no. but I
1: think that's the whole point we're coming back yeah. to that you you are not asking to look into the doctor's brain. You you are ask you're asking the doctor to explain his reasoning. Mm. For his uh, prescription, exactly. So why should we ask for something else from the system, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, Maybe maybe a tricky question or sensitive question, or maybe not. Um, When you what have you identified, or have or have you discussed sort of, uh, you know, the traditional, the classical AI ethical conversation around Mm. what you're doing and how it's not biased and all that. So, totally. especially so, the bias thing. I mean, like, the, so <laughs> yeah. this is classic, right? So we are doing something, and I think it's a really good idea. Mm. But how do we combat bias? How do we, how do we say that this is actually, uh, and and I mean that both from a t- t- core business perspective, good mm. business for you guys, mm. but also to get good startups with this diverse setup uh, the same shot. Mm. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, so had, I mean it's a natural
2: here? question when you, if you go back to this feedback loop, right? Yeah. Exactly. If you have a feedback loop, you're kind of enforcing the bias of yeah. uh, of the team, essentially. It,
1: unfortunately, yes.
2: Unfortunately, yes. Uh, so, so that's definitely something that we have been working quite a bit with. And, uh and uh, that's, I think it's super relevant for, for pretty much all, yes. all, all, models, right? Yeah. yeah, because, but, because also it doesn't necessarily have to be kind of normal bias, but if you're kind of changing the definition of what you potentially want as an output, ah. like all the data is stale, right? And that's not very nice. So you need to kind of figure out how to, uh, uh, how to mm-hmm. handle that and how to kind of ham- backfill the labels in some way. And that's, so we have, we have been doing, uh, so the female founder example is great, right? If you mm-hmm. only, if you only trade, train on uh, a history of investments where all the founders have been male, yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean that you want that for the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so then, uh, uh, either you can augment the data, uh, like, uh, so making it less, less kind of uh, prominent, or you can start also looking at the history if you could kind of create labels. From the history in some way. So looking at other successful deals that are happening, you could also kind of, uh, um, uh, combine like, I, I don't know if you are kind of familiar with snorkel or kind of watchful or, or, or tools like snorkel, that. Yeah. yeah. There is a, there is, there is this concept of weak supervision that we have been kind of working quite a bit with in that regard. It's also a way to expand your label set, right? So I, you,
1: weak supervision. You know. That sounds super cool. I don't have a clue what it is. So this is
2: essentially a kind of <laughs> on the onset. It sounds a bit weird, right? You essentially define loosely uh, uh loosely defined rules uh mm-hmm. like um like saying that growth is good like uh growth in employees is good uh female founders is good uh you know those kind of things and then you uh and then but if you do a lot of those they first of all they don't necessarily pr- overlap exactly with what what do you think is interesting but um but uh, if you do enough of them and decorrelate them and kind of combine them together they should at least kind of represent essentially a, a labeled set but weekly, weekly. And then, and then you train a model on that. And then you look at the output and you should of course have data sets that are more kind of thoroughly labeled as well, like golden golden yeah. sets. Right. Uh, so then you can kind of understand, okay, where is my labels not necessarily representing what I want? Can I do more rules to kind of augment this and make it better?
1: Can I, can I try to synthesize for me in my stupid brain? It, it sounds to me that in terms of working with bias and, and and these kind of topics, you need to actively work on it. You mm. need to actively combat. It's a little bit like you're on a convex, convex, yes, con- convex, and and the ball is trying to roll off, mm. and you you, you kind of need to always work on it in order mm. to. I think you need to do that with normal labeling as well. Yes, yeah. and but but this is sort of you know don't never forget that whether you like it or not, humans are biased. Mm. So if you're not combating bias vigilantly the whole time mm. your your model will in the end be cor- you know will not fly
2: no totally and i mean in regards to um in regards to uh, uh conscious bias you can do things like this when you mm. want to change something yeah. like but the unconscious stuff is of course super hard so that's going to be hard, super hard regardless i think yeah uh,
0: i'm biting my tongue a bit here this is a hard topic I mean, let's take the example of female and male founders, for Mm -hmm. example, Mm -hmm. and imagine that, you know, historically wise, of course, it's probably been a lot more male founders. Mm -hmm. And then perhaps it's starting to come up more female founders, which is great, of course. I would argue that even though if we just take this single feature by itself Mm. uh, and, and think about how the AI model is being trained, unless there is actually some kind of information information gain in looking at that feature it will not actually look at the gender of the founder uh, even if it's been like 90% male founders in the past mm. so i'm not sure if i explained myself properly no you don't so
1: I think <laughs> yeah, you i know
2: what you're going I, I mean I, it, 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 you uh, th- th- there is, I, I totally get what you're saying. So, yeah. like, if there is I, one, I if there is only kind of one female founder in the history, and that was actually positively yeah. labeled, yeah, like then it would probably be even more prominent, right? So, yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. So,
0: so th- the connection is rather to,
2: but the bias was there at the time. So, I guess, like the the distribution of uh, kind of female founders actually being marked as interesting at the time when it necessarily wasn't, like mm-hmm. that's probably not going to be the case, right?
0: Yeah, I just think people have, a, it's easy to misunderstand and think of machine learning as pure statistics mm. uh, in that way. And, and what I mean with pure statistics is that you just look at the historical distribution or uh, all of the, of the gender of founders and mm. say since 90% of them was male, then it must be good to be male. But that's not how machine learning
1: works. Mm. I mean, no, but, no, but this that, is the key topic that I really want you to explain, mm. because I know what you're going with this, yeah. and 90% do not understand yeah. this difference. Uh, so I, please elaborate.
0: I'm not sure I can. I will try. <laughs> but but uh, you know, if you take traditional decision tree kind of algorithms mm. and whatnot, mm. th- they have this measure called information gain. Mm. It could be entropy or genie or whatnot. But they are trying to choose... Let's say you have 10 features. Gender could be one. Another could be age. A third could be category or something. I don't mm. know. They are not going to pick the gender unless it actually has some kind of value to make the correct prediction. So if the if the prediction is is, is, is this company going to be successful or not? Yes or no. It doesn't matter if 90% was male unless it actually has some kind of informative value. Mm. So it has to be... Um, correlation between the gender and the success story for that feature to be selected and used at all.
2: Yeah, you're, you're totally right. But totally I, right. But like in the history where you have a kind of a bias uh, inherently in, in, say, the the decisions where mm-hmm. whether or not to kind of invest in a company, uh, you would uh, you would then have a model picking it up. I think like that because then it was not necessarily. Uh, so that it was just less female founders, it was also kind of a bias against it, right? So yeah, true.
0: That, yeah. That's that's a, that's mm. a really good good point. So yep. so if there is like some kind of hidden bias, mm. so to speak, and uh, people were choosing male founders over consciousness, female. yeah, exactly, consciously uh, at yes. the time, yes, yes, exactly. Then and then they potentially would be successful then it could be some mm. kind of
2: uh, it's not only bias. kind of the availability is also yeah. the actual kind of uh, But I
0: think it's uh, important to distinguish it too yeah, that, yeah, totally no- normally yeah. if it's just you know looking at a single feature the model is not that stupid it mm. just looks at the statistics of it and, and try to choose it in that way it actually has to have an information gain mm. to be selected by the model
2: We had, so a, it has had, a, had a, another kind of similar problem with uh, with bias at Klarna which is like the selection yeah. bias I think maybe okay. you spoke about it last time I'm mm. not sure but uh, uh, but uh when you reject the purchase you don't really know if it's going to be uh, like paid or not right because oh, right. it never happened mm. uh and, and that's obviously a huge problem you can only train on the on the accepted purchases uh, accepted like the better purchase. new model gets you only see the good like stuff and then so, some, right. some for some reasons so maybe due to some process like error mm-hmm. or something something else comes through or like or has but and then uh, maybe that was accepted anyway, right? Mm. And then was paid. Then it may, might actually look like a rule where you normally would never kind of uh, consider to give uh, give uh, credit uh, would be considered good because you kind of accept that and it was paid. But they had like a hundred unpaid invoices. Mm. You know, it's like uh, uh because. The, the few that got through there did not tell the true story about those that were rejected.
0: I mean, it's a classical feedback yeah. loop. I yeah, think, exactly you know, right. You yeah. could have like a search f- function in Spotify or something. If a person starts searching and clicking on mm. the search result in a certain way that will feed back into the, the algorithm as well. And that will reinforce that behavior. Yeah. But um, then when you started listening, it was shit. It could be. I mean, these kind of feedback loops can be really dangerous. Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, so tricky you stuff. Have to,
1: yeah, tough, tough shit. <laughs> can, can we can we move a little bit? What's sure. the tech stack? What's yeah. the tech so stack?
2: We're, we're heavily on Google Cloud. So mm. we're using uh, um, everything there. Uh, like uh, uh, BigQuery, Dataflow, uh, Bigtable uh kubernetes uh, Qflow, ha, ha, yeah. have
1: you been able to go quite native in gcp or have you you know what what are you working with that is not gcp services kafka kafka
0: <laughs> why not pubsub then
2: because uh this was my decision at the time and i think it still holds it's kind of the uh, pubsub is nice for kind of uh, uh distributing, um, data between systems but we were more looking to kind of decouple things uh in that in that regards as well so we we do use the compaction feature heavily in in kafka which i think is actually available in PubSub now but not but wasn't at the time right and then uh and then also the kind of order of things were important which pubsub does not kind of provide and uh, uh, you also don't have the possibility to change the retention time, or you couldn't at least. Oh, right.
1: But could could so. we use to unpack the the tech stack? You know, a little bit nerdy mm-hmm. from uh, scraping and ingestion. What do you use in order to get it in? Or you, do, do you do you go straight in do you go into your core storage, parquet storage, or you go somewhere else? Or how, how you know is this streaming? What is it? Right? Yeah,
2: so, we do have a hybrid of streaming and, and, and then kind of batch processing, uh, and uh, uh, kind of depending on. So starting from the scraper let's start start from the start from the from the source yeah <laughs> exactly so we do use Air, Apache Airflow to to schedule things okay. for kind of you know and every, you manage that every, to yourself as well the, no there is so cloud composer which oh, is yeah. doing that we yeah. do, used to manage it ourselves in the beginning ah, but then okay. uh, but then when they released the cloud composer we switched over to using that yeah. and then uh, um, it and then uh, yeah it essentially schedules like we know every Tuesday um uh, every month we get this data source and blah 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 you yeah. know uh, and then uh, we have scheduled jobs downloading the data and uh, kicking off essentially processing, which is you know uh, 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 normally data flow pipelines kind of processing it into our, our kind of uh, format and uh, and way of uh, that so data that flow so the data
1: kind of flow is the, the core way how you data flow is the stuff. core kind of uh, transformation yeah exactly um, yeah and but you don't actually take it first into your. Uh, Data lake storage of GCP. We do, yeah, totally,
2: we do. So the the uh, the um, uh, airflow jobs normally kind of saves everything raw as well. Of course, yeah. yeah, it's super important in order to be able to understand where it comes from, right? So. Okay, into cloud storage, I guess. Yes, so that's cloud storage S three, kind of. Yes, and BigQuery actually as well. Yeah, so this you is can the kind GCP uh, S three. Kind of depending on the source, right? If it's very nested and weird, and maybe not in BigQuery, but yeah, then we maybe kind of de it a bit before we ingest it there. Yeah.
0: Cool. And, and um, so basically, you get it in somehow. And um, are you seeing there are these kind of two different architectures? You can think about the Lambda architecture and the Kappa one, if yeah. you heard about them. I think we're
2: doing more Kappa style. Oh, ah, right. Really. But the, the, the sources are kind of different and kind of coming in different um, uh, kind of uh, iterations or times or whatever you say. Like uh, And then uh, you get processed, but then it fits downstream into. Uh, essentially where it's all merged and processed and put into our kind of data model, right? Yeah. And, and that that whole pipeline is streaming because we have so many different data sources coming in. We just want everything to kind of flow through the system once something happens. And it's the same goes for stuff that are actually kind of happening internally. So if a uh, deal team is doing some labeling or if they are kind of changing some values or whatever, that's also kind of fed as a data source, essentially kind of... Com- being combined with the rest of the system. So, so should
1: should we understand the system as more or less real time, event driven mostly, or is it more data at rest? Or the
2: uh, the uh, the events is essentially new data coming in, right? Okay. So it's not like a funding round happening because that's not really how we get the data. Because, because
1: so you, uh, so, uh, so how, uh, BigQuery, how How does that come in here now? Like so in the so BigQuery
2: or, is mostly kept for analysis. Yeah. So yeah. so when
1: you when you're doing something, does it go straight into the sort of Dealer CRM, if I use that word, or yes. like very so, much yes, exactly. the production so it's, it's, pipeline.
2: It's essentially kind of flowing through. Uh, we do have data flow then processing it. Like some of it is streaming data flow jobs, some of it is batch, but it doesn't really matter. The output is put into a si- si- single kind of same format all over the place, which is very kind of uh, slim. Essentially, a log of change, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then we have uh, um, a system kind of picking up those. And uh, and uh, putting joining them together from all the different data sources, keeping states, essentially. So everything new that comes in is kind of put into this. So say that uh, for some reason we get the uh, name change of Spotify to Spotify AB, mm-hmm. and then that comes in, and then the, that's kind of put in place into the uh, to the state, given a lot of rules, of course, because we want to make the data better and you know more recent and so forth. And then uh, that's output to Kafka, essentially the uh, the, the new object with mm-hmm. the new data. And then that's fed to different databases and, and also out to BigQuery and everything. You
0: know. And the state is, is kept in Bigtable basically? Or yes. yeah. Okay, so you have data coming in, it's fed to the cloud storage and BigQuery. You have a number of pipelines running on the data flow architecture. Mm-hmm. Are you programming
1: on, in Java or Python yes, both. or both. both? Yeah, that <laughs> okay. was my core question. <laughs> well, what, what would you say is your language of this system? Uh, I mean, uh, you said Kafka, we, by the way, and yeah, this Kafka, is one part.
2: Yeah, exactly. But Kafka, I mean, uh, Kafka is more like a message passing yes. part of it, right? Here. But we do, we do uh, we do primarily use Java for most of the kind of uh, heavy processing, uh, but uh, we have in uh, diff- for different reasons have been running kind of um, TensorFlow models directly in Dataflow jobs mm-hmm. for doing some of so those more is of simple, Python. Yeah, exactly.
1: That's part of things. But no Spark. Yeah, we do. No, <laughs> no we don't do Spark. We have done it's it for flow. kind of. Uh, I mean, that's
0: the alternative to data yeah, flow. Yeah. yeah. So data flow for people, you know it's an alternative to traditional kind of Hadoop systems. Yeah, Hadoop. And it's a managed. Part. It's a managed um, big data. Processing.
2: Yeah, exactly. The, it uses the Apache Beam kind of uh, yes. uh, API, which is uh, or SDK, which is essentially something that you can run on different uh, kind of engines. So you could potentially run but, what we're doing. But on when Spark. you code
1: in Dataflow, uh, was, we're coding yeah. in, in Beam, then in Beam and then, then you run right? it on Dataflow. Exactly. But you could potentially
2: run it on Spark as well, if you want, yeah, okay. or Flink,
1: or could you do Spark and Flink and still get it to Dataflow? Is is Dataflow <laughs> open to Beam, or is it really Beam? No, it's Beam,
2: Beam. is like the the, the way of of uh, kind of translating uh, exactly. the code into the to to to, to lower operation. I, 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 I don't know, know shit. But, uh, I don't but know But you know
0: I have some opinions about this, but um, I'm Shoot. trying to trigger you. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to trigger you without
1: really <laughs> knowing what I'm talking about, and it
0: works. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but I think Google is really smart sometimes from a strategic yeah, point of view in defining a standard like Beam, exactly. which is 100% is. compatible with Dataflow, which is everyone. there... Which yeah, is the only funnel. language to do uh, dataflow, though. By the way, it's the sales yeah. funnel that all leads to. But then they have, flow. you know, they, they claim, you know, they want to have a standardized approach, or people shouldn't feel locked in to, into yeah, dataflow, and they can have yeah. the code running on whatever they want. But they it's claim. so
1: smooth, it's so smooth. So you use Yeah, but
0: in reality, it has like hundred percent support for dataflow, but it has like perhaps seventy, eighty percent for Spark, and yeah, I don't totally. know. Like, Totally. And less for flink, you know? yeah, totally. So you are not going to be able to use hundred percent of the functionality. And was also, you're of really
2: missing out of yeah, exactly. You're really missing out on them if you want to yes. really use yeah. their. So their
0: it's a smart abilities. thing, and it sounds so cool. You're not being locked in, but in reality, you are. I would argue.
1: But but it, no, let's go another way here. L- l- help me out here because okay. So let's now talk a little bit about the core machine learning stuff, right? Mm. So how do you set up your machine learning workbench mm. versus deploying machine learning? Models into code. How do you do that? I mean, uh, where do you explore and where do you deploy? We,
2: we are relying heavily on Kubeflow and TFX now at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, okay. um, essentially, kind of a lot of the it kind of depends on which model we're talking about here. But uh, in in general, I would say we we do a lot of feature engineering and kind of. Selecting stuff from BigQuery, of course, because mm-hmm. it's easy. And then, uh, uh, uh and then that is, uh, then pr- processed in, in Kubeflow. And, uh. And what is
1: Kubeflow in this sense?
2: Uh, so Kubeflow pipelines. Uh, <coughs> I don't is that what you're asking? No. I'm asking
1: stupid <laughs> questions to learn. <laughs> okay. So is, is so that, uh, should I understand it as a work? So we're for using, data you know,
2: findings? TFX is like t- tons of, a lot of tooling around building TensorFlow models. Yeah. Uh, and then you can run that on different, and this is similar to what we said before, right? Yeah. On different things, uh, cube, uh, running it in Kubeflow is one of the ways uh, which we're using because- So
1: deploying, running in Kubeflow, exper- exploring in TFX
2: yeah exactly so we do uh, you have the pipeline concept in tfx as well okay. And so you have the different uh you have the uh, different things like uh, validating schema and uh, yeah, yeah. a lot of those things right and uh um and uh you construct this kind of uh, essentially DAG, right? Similar to a lot of different, like all of these systems that I'm talking about have DAGs for some reason. Yeah. What is DAGs? Uh, so
1: direct, uh, uh, direct execution graphs, Yeah, Exactly, yeah. What, what does that mean?
2: So it means do this, then that, and then depend, this is the instruction. Depending, exactly, so like this step depends on these three different steps and they depend okay. on that and yep. so forth. But it needs mm-hmm. to be, a, that's how you
1: build up the workflow.
2: Yeah, exactly. It can't be cycles. It needs to be kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm flowing through but it, that doesn't matter that much and then you have c- cached kind of the possibility to cache steps so you can kind of rerun different experiments on parts of already computed data uh, which is super neat mm-hmm. and um, uh, but I think also kind of just standardizing it in order to uh, make it easier to Collaborate on, it's very important.
1: Uh, the, the, the reason I'm sort of asking the questions in a super uh, stupid way is because number one, I don't know better. I'm trying to learn. That's number two, I think this way of understanding how to code and build systems is out of reach currently for 90% of the market, mm-hmm. right? So they, they they haven't moved on from an application centric mm-hmm. way of coding mm-hmm. to a data centric way of coding. Mm-hmm. So we are we are we, we, we do things in dynamics, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> or in SAP, mm-hmm. right? And and then we do databases. And and this whole mindset that well actually the workflow is kind of simple, it can be whatever web interface quite thin. Mm-hmm. And we are building data pipelines and we are transforming data and we're setting instructions to do different things, which I, to me, some sort of, it, it's really all, already here, what I would call data centric coding. And then of course you can go more and more data centric AI and all that. But, but even the baseline data centric way of coding systems that Spotify and Clon has been doing for years. Mm. I think, ver, you know, from the traditional companies, they haven't really, they, they they don't really understand what's happening under the hood. I mean, I don't
0: think either people understand the the level of quality that the cloud services provide. Yeah, if no, totally. if yeah, they yeah. were to yeah. redo everything themselves yeah. and rebuild their own <sighs> service for doing all of False. these kind of services, they would never False. be able to do anything as quickly as I guess you have in Butterbrain, That, right?
2: that was right. very yeah. crucial from like where they start when we were at three developers mm. like i can't have like a uh, uh, hundred machines that i need to maintain and stuff like yeah. that right that's i need more people than that just to maintain the machines <laughs> yeah let yeah. so, change the hard drives yeah exactly <laughs> and and i uh, it's definitely a benefit being able to start from scratch like that it's mm. of course hard like you need to figure out a lot of things yeah but, having, but you don't have the
0: legacy to you don't have the
2: legacy so you yeah. can just kind of go for whatever you think sounds interesting yeah uh, mm. And then uh, I, I was like, in regards to why we s- selected Dataflow, was because I'm I was like all into that at the point. Like I, I read this. Uh, I think you probably also read it at the time, like the Streaming One Hundred and One all the, and all, the, all those kind of uh, uh, kind of papers and and the Kappa kind of architecture and everything. We're discussing that heavily at Klarna at the time, uh, since we were using the Lambda architecture. Yeah. And then. Uh, uh kind of data the data flow kind of tooling and papers came out and that kind of made made me really go for it so
1: but it is super cool and you are so deep into it so you don't even understand (laughs) that i mean like if if we if if we talk about google or Mm. facebook here and spotify Mm. and clara here i mean like it's so far away Mm. from understanding I mean like I have the basic conversation on a daily basis. What's the difference between application-centric versus data-centric development? And and I'm not talking sort of AI stuff. I'm talking should we put everything in SAP yeah. as a monolith, yeah. right?
2: Yeah, or in Kubernetes. Uh, yeah. Or yeah. You, you even talk about What is
1: Kubernetes? <laughs> you know, I'm I'm talking about uh, very, very traditional mm. um are building a, a core application financial application mm-hmm. and we do everything and we build a monolith in in, in an application layer on top right mm-hmm. and we've code a whole stack within one vendor's application that's what i'm talking about yeah. and then building you know point-to-point integrations
0: mm. i mean i guess a lesson learned basically is that if you use the awesome cloud services that we have today you will get you know very far or yeah. very quickly Probably. it's just Super unfortunate that we don't have a single cloud provider in Europe. Yeah, that's okay. a good one. <laughs>
2: exactly. Clarna started trying to build its own cloud at some it point. Didn't? Yeah, oh, yeah.
1: That, that is yeah. a good mission. They should, they should have done that.
0: Really cool. what's happening you know after you've done all the processing you're saving the state in big table etc in, in Google Cloud and, and then you want to have the output to the deal team in some way I guess yeah so
2: we do have a web application right serving, okay. served in uh, Kubernetes, uh, it's Kubernetes. Uh, cool. which is uh, uh, kind of um, uh, React and, and Node based mm-hmm. so um, React Node based on top served on top. by Kubernetes served on Kubernetes and the data is served uh, uh, f- through a few different database uh, kind of uh, uh Databases, hmm. uh, we, uh, but the primary one is Elasticsearch.
0: Oh, Oof, cool! On. Manage yourself, or
1: because they don't yes. have a thing. No, oh, well, you in
2: Kubernetes, it. no, exactly. No, we hmm. use uh, we use it uh, managed yeah. ourselves in Kubernetes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly.
1: Sure. Yeah. So it's the GCP version of Kubernetes. or you do you using Kubernetes native?
2: No, exactly. We're using the the Google provided Kubernetes yeah. solution with GKE. Exactly, right. it's the same, yeah, very okay. similar. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Elasticsearch, I think, you know, is such an undervalued, or I think most so many companies are using it now, but it's super powerful in And
2: so what many is ways.
1: Elasticsearch? Yeah, do you want to search <laughs> so it, 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 yeah. it, it,
2: it. depends on how how deep you want to go. It's essentially a packaged kind of uh, uh version of Apache Lucene. So you do kind of uh have a concept of indexes. So you build index search indexes. That, uh, that can be kind of easily distributed on a lot of machines. So.
1: And what's the big, what's the, what are you trying to achieve with it? Why, why, so, why is it so helpful? So for
2: us, it's very, very important because we do a lot of search. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, so, but, uh, but that sounds easy, but it's, uh, it's, it's pretty important. I think, um, um, we do serve a lot of data to our, to our, uh, kind of deal teams, right? Not necessarily mm-hmm. so that they will look at everything, but they need to be able to, get the results quickly. Yeah. So, so uh, first of all, uh, like Elasticsearch s- scales really well. Uh, you, can, uh, you, you can't do like joins and stuff like that, but it's like, but if you have targeted searches on with filters and maybe free text, then it performs really well. And uh, that's not something that a lot of other databases can say actually.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's a shitload of plugins on that. You can do graph analysis and maps mm-hmm. and uh, exactly. so many things. And I guess basically you're building like an interactive web app in some mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. using Elasticsearch this as a backend is- where you can interact with search through things.
1: Yeah. I mean, right. to me, this is so next level. So this is the, exactly. This is
2: the, the, what well, the deal teams interact with. Them, yeah. like the most we do a lot of have a lot of slack integration as well where they can kind of you know comment, interact more comment. echo exactly and come and uh, interact more and have like notifications of mm, when new a competitor ah, receives funding uh, or so you competitor. have notifications ah, coming you through slack like yeah to yeah, them yeah and oh, then nice. of course they have the concept of notica- notifications in the in ui I, as well but are you automating like, like,
1: the, the slack channel on. or is it something that you manually push or you have automated those not- notification so,
2: features? So yeah, definitely automated. Good, yeah. Cool, cool. A lot, a lot is automated there. There's really? a lot of notifications. Some of them are too many. Some of yeah. them but are But actually, you haven't asked a real yeah. question.
1: You were three very early in the start. How many is in the team now?
2: We're 23. 23,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, in three or four years? Five years since five I started.
2: Yeah, in, in, I started in February, I think. So ah, in February, cool. it's five years, yeah.
0: It's also an awesome tech uh,
1: part uh, segment, and I, and I think, and right? And <laughs> I hope you enjoy my stupid yes, questions. No, it's awesome. I, I think it's of, great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's and, really and good. I'm, and you need to understand, I'm I, I'm, I'm literally this stupid, right? <laughs> and I'm pretty smart on these topics. So, I mean, like, compared to someone who has no background mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's such a divide, seriously, mm-hmm. between no. the, the real experts people are trying to shape the teams of the experts mm. versus the budget holders right. mm. in, in, in normal companies. So I'm, I'm, I'm the middle guy here, so trying to ask <laughs> sort of half-stupid <laughs> questions, which is really relevant questions it's for kind me. Kind of understanding still, but not... Because it, it helps me to understand so I can explain. Mm. And let's move to another topic then, perhaps moving from
0: tech to academia in some ah, way. Sure, sure. Right? Ah, nice one. And I really like that you actually do, in a startup of 20 people, still find the time to write Ah. scientific
1: uh, articles. Yeah, that's pretty cool.
2: Right? That (laughs) is so cool, by the way. If someone had told me that five years ago, I would have been so happy. (laughs) (laughs) This Um, is super impressive, by the way. I think. I I think think it's super impressive.
1: Mm. And it shows the way for what innovation needs. R&D proper. And yeah. this uh,
0: had been accepted as well.
2: Yeah, oh, it's uh, it was actually presented now last week uh, in uh, EMNLP <laughs> in uh, uh, on the Dominican Republic hmm? uh, by my colleague. Diana. Did you go there as well? Or no, no, oh, okay. no. My colleague Diana went.
0: So, oh, okay. Yeah. What was the name of the conference again? It was EMNLP. EMNLP. Yeah.
2: So yeah. empirical methods in natural language processing. Awesome. Which is
0: yeah. one of the big ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Super impressive. Yeah. It- okay, so the name was uh, pause, right? Well, yeah, what does exactly. it stand for? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> positive and annealed unlabeled uh, sentence thank you yeah
2: yeah uh, uh, the um, the idea with it is like we briefly touched upon it before uh, with similarity right we do have a lot of similarity uh, and kind of uh, questions like that and normally when you do similarity you could do with completely unsupervised. So you can kind of un- try mm-hmm. to compute different embeddings and uh, and uh, find kind of distances between them and so forth. And that's uh, that's great. But You could also do it supervised, which uh, essentially helps you fine tune the embeddings into what you're actually after. Instead of having some kind of embedding that tries to understand all language, you could kind of then start mm-hmm. fine tuning it. Into and we are speaking about text now, right? Yes, so, yes, this yes, this? yes, yes, sorry, sorry. Yeah. So okay. I'll unpack
1: it a little bit more. So what's the fly in here?
2: So uh, NLP is all about understanding text, right? Yes. Like you said. And so the use
1: case where this.
2: So the use case is is essentially um, uh, finding uh, similar uh, companies as something else. Right? Okay. Yeah. So, like and now we we're before,
1: l- looking at techniques.
2: Yes, it's applied in somewhat different areas within within our uh, uh, models, but it's uh, but uh, uh, the kind of core idea is to essentially mm-hmm. produce embeddings, which is uh, numerical representation of the meaning of the text. Oh. So embedding is basically a vector, a list of yeah, exactly. numbers. Vector, yeah, exactly. can,
0: can you mention how big the, the vectors and embeddings you have?
2: Or? Well, the, the, the uh, I can, but it, it kind of depends on uh, which one we, we talk about, but it's uh, usually like 512, that kind of style yeah. yeah we asked spotify that they, they did, they say did it. not want to talk we about said more
1: than 10 <laughs> more than 10 which is nothing because we knew yes. there was going to be 500 <laughs> anyway
2: yeah i don't necessarily think it has to be that big though you could yeah. probably reduce it a lot yeah yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so and and what are we trying to do now when we are representing text as numbers and we put it in a vector what, mm. what are we trying to figure out how, how is that helping us
2: Well, if you if you represent some a meaning in as a point in space, if you have like two or three dimensions, like Mm -hmm. let's look at three dimensions, and then you have uh, you can have points that are close to each other, Mm. and if uh, the point represents meaning, then points close to each other in space would be close to each other. High meaning, sorry, good high meaning. You mean. mean like close to each other is good. Well, but it depends if you want it to be okay, yeah, like okay, find okay. to find something similar, right? So if you want something very different, then they should not be very close. But the, essentially, what we are after is finding something that is close to the to the neighbor. So you could do like nearest neighbor search in that space, essentially. Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I guess it's a cl- classical example of this is you know if you take like a Paris Hilton, Hilton okay. as a person, uh-huh. and then you want to if you do traditional techniques like TF-IDF uh, and mm-hmm. these kind of things, you just look word by word. And then Paris, you know, that can be the city of Paris or it can be the person of Paris Hilton. Yes. And uh, to be able to properly understand the meaning, you have to look at the full context. Mm. And uh, at that point, you really understand the, the meaning of it. And this is what we want to do. So then we can understand that the text is speaking about not... The city of Paris, but mm-hmm. actually the person of Paris Hilton. Exactly. Yeah. Just yeah. very quickly, very yeah. simple. Right? So,
1: so the vector topic is now about mm-hmm. understanding that this text is correlating to this type of company, which is now... An interesting company.
2: Right. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you could potentially envision, like, uh, this actually, this work started when we when we launched the growth fund. It was a new initiative We didn't really have any labels at all. And then we kind of figure out, like, how, how should we handle this? So, like, we need, and then they could provide us with a set of uh, deals or companies that they thought was very interesting. But we didn't really have any kind of large sets of, of data of in, yeah, yeah exactly training. so then we wanted to expand it from like using more of a similarity approach rather than just the classic kind of ranking and mm. training on a lot of data
0: and the traditional approach for doing these kind of similarity measures i would say is sentence bird kind of
2: approaches yes exactly right that's uh, that's exactly what we used before we started with this yeah
0: Right and uh, perhaps you can give a quick introduction to send this set this bird as well or uh,
2: yeah but it's a, it's a, well bird is a pretty pretty advanced model, right mm-hmm. uh, uh, using uh, uh, transformers essentially <laughs> yeah. but uh, that doesn't matter that much but it, uh, essentially the the idea is that you um, there's one it's one thing to kind of compute to co- to get these kind of embeddings. Uh, but they should also, uh, kind of uh, make sense if you look through the, the space, right? So, like, uh, uh, you could potentially have a space that is kind of very local, like solving some of these kind of training issues that you would have. But you could do, you could get embeddings out of like the normal word as well. Whereas the sentence word tries to train on pairs of sentences instead so that you can understand, like, then the, the, you essentially construct a space then that makes more more sense and kind of you can extrapolate in so like some if if some you have some meaning over here and you have another meaning over here then between those two meanings should be something that is between those meanings not sense. but cool. yeah, yeah.
0: It, it, i mean sentence in in one way to describe this if you take traditional birth embeddings you know and you want to predict similarity it's kind of hard because normally you have to fit both the, the two sentences and feed that same simultaneously through BERT and mm. then they produce a score. Mm. But that's impossible if you have uh, thousands of meanings because then you have to have the combination of all of them together yeah. and mm. then sort something. Mm. So what you really want to have is a single fixed embedding mm. for every sentence. That still works when it comes to similarity. In this space, exactly. Right, but
2: right. this is yeah. so, so hard is. to follow. Yeah. Oh, yeah anyway, it that was hard to we, say as well. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 thank you.
1: <laughs> okay. So, send, but, yeah, but you, now you go for another technique now to solve. Yeah, so, what was the problem with Sanders Bird? And what, why did you not? Wait, s-
2: there is not really any problem with Sanders Bird apart from like um, the, using Sanders Bird works. Mm. It's just that in regards to the similarity that we are talking about, it's very kind of specific, right? If if you have a text about a company, maybe they talk about like other stuff in that text that doesn't necessarily have to do with what the company do, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about similar companies, you have some idea of what you think is s- the thing that is similar. Like, you don't want it for. to be like the funding that they have received, for example. Like maybe you do, but then you want it to be explicit about that, yeah. right? So uh uh it could be other things like you just... Uh, other noise in the, oh, sorry, noise in the text essentially where, um, that, that the model picks up on as well, because it's part of what language is about. So it's still the texts are similar, but it's not this necessarily a similar company. So you want to fine tune this embedding or the model essentially then to, to care about what you care about. Yeah right.
0: So so not have a generic uh, similarity measure, but actually a similarity measure that is important for you in some way. Exactly right right.
2: And that's great. And you can do that with uh, with uh, uh, already that you don't need to use our method for for that. The the thing that we kind of provide is that you could do it in a positive unlabeled setting, which means that you only have a small set of positive labels, and you train on that and all of the unlabeled. Instead of having like positive and negative labels,
1: so does does that ult- ultimately mean that the whole labeling effort goes down in in this way? Of exactly. Working? So
2: we managed to get like state of the art performance in some of these tasks but only ten like percent of the labels. So and, like and
1: now very, we're getting to what I think is some of the holy grails topics in order to make AI really fly. Is like if you're gonna label everything mm. full on. I mean, like we talked a lot about this, that that, that's that's the next level, right? What the real research is all about. How do we get to the same top performance results where the AI can label for you or you you think about labeling Mm -hmm. in a different way? And I think this is-
2: I mean, that's one of our biggest challenges is kind of- you know, label, well, it effort. probably goes for everybody, but like we uh, compared to some of the large companies that have a lot of labels for a specific task, they, yeah. we do not have that. So uh. no,
0: To actually solve the AI divide problem where yeah. they can label everything, you know, for having normal companies without having to go through the extremely expensive process of labeling everything, we need to have techniques that works for small data sets yeah, I mean, like, or so small label data so, so
1: I think that's the bottom line, right? So labeling is an AI divide topic because the normal companies... In order for them to catch up to the thousands of people that has been labeling for ten years within Google, you know it's such a start that no one can catch up with no, if you totally don't find if you don't crack in coal as uh, smarter yeah we need to be smarter than that.
2: So how do you do it? Yeah, <laughs> no, but, uh, but uh, yeah. So this is it's a, a good problem to solve, by the way. <laughs> so it's essentially, kind of, I think yeah, yeah. That's also I think why it was received with very kind of uh, open arms in yeah. the, like, this conference because they they thought it was super interesting. And I think uh and it is super interesting. And I think uh, yeah it also kind of relates back to the problem we have with with uh, people. But I think this is also very common. Like you have very kind of important, uh, high paid people, uh, you don't really want to ask them to do the labeling, <laughs> right? And Touche. it's so much easier to ask them for positive labels <sighs> than negatives, right? Because <laughs> negatives essentially means they go need to go through a lot of just boring shit and then say no, 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 no. no, no. no. But somebody who's not them can't really do it. Because if I do it, like, if I want to go through all this, when do I know when it's actually not no? <sighs> right? It's super hard. Like, very uh,
1: simple. It's a very simple problem.
2: Yeah. So uh uh so that that's why the kind of positive uh idea and the, the positive unlabeled uh, kind of setting is not it's not new either it's just new in this setting. Uh, what thing,
1: what is it what is unique or new?
2: So what? it's essentially normally when you when you train on positive and negative labels you have a uh, have a data set and then you kind of uh uh have a loss function that kind of represents when you're wrong in the different ways right. You have a some kind of loss when you're wrong about positives and some yeah. When you're wrong about negatives and uh, essentially what this is doing is that we only use the positive side of things and then we use the loss uh, have a construct loss essentially for all of the data like uh, including the unlabeled stuff and then we approximate the negative one by kind of removing the positive side of things like for that (laughs) so it's like uh, so you need to do some assumptions in order to kind of get to that kind of loss function for the for everything, and then, uh, but then, um, and, you, and then you, you approximate the negative loss, yeah, exactly. But,
1: but and you can then now prove in that the performance is still you made your approximations and the way you do that, in the end, the end result is quite good, right? Yeah, it's the same, exactly. The so same. We,
2: we start with doing it essentially with uh, uh, with uh, similar amounts of of labels that you would do, like if you had all of the data labeled, right? And then we mm-hmm. reduce it. Uh, the number of positive ones, like, uh, uh more and more, uh, and, uh, managed to maintain the kind of performance quite, uh, quite far down. And what's the
0: ratio between labeled versus unlabeled that you actually can come down to?
2: We, we, we went down to, it depends a little bit on the task, mm. but uh, we went down to, to like 10% uh, of, uh, of, uh, labeled then. Mm. Uh,
0: so okay, can, can you just reasons. go through it? So you have a set of unlabeled data points that you mm-hmm. want to train on, still in some way, mm-hmm. and then you have a set of positive data points that you want to train in some way, and then you have to have a loss function for them in some way. And and uh, it, don't be afraid about going techie. Try to simply explain the best you can. You know how do you do this?
2: Well, it's essentially kind of uh, in in uh, I don't know how to explain it in a nice way exactly. Uh, don't don't, don't do it nice. No, do okay. it, it techy but it, but essentially like if you look at the if you look at the the loss right normally if you have both positive and negative ones uh that's the loss for the whole data set right um uh, and uh, so if you remove the kind of uh, uh the positive side of things you only get the kind of negative loss right so you could potentially then uh, pro- if you approximate the entire loss for the whole data set looking at all the data so you train also on the unlabeled that's very important of course like so you need to have all the unlabeled data available right mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, and then somewhere in there in that loss that you have for all of the unlabeled stuff uh, you uh, you have the negative side of things so then you can can potentially if it's like it's uh, it's similar it's similar to kind of understanding like you um, essentially have like uh, positive and negative examples like all of the data set definitely consists of this so if you remove the positive ones you only have the negative ones left right and there should be a loss for that that part mm. and uh, uh and
0: how do you define the loss for the approximate negative part to them or unlabeled part
2: but I think, uh, like, uh, it, it essentially, I think it's better to read the paper in this term, but it's pretty mathematical. It's a bit weird to kind of explain, I think. But, mm-hmm. uh, um, um, but essentially you need to kind of understand the, some kind of distribution between the positive and the negative in the, in the, in the kind of full set, right? Mm-hmm. So you need to do some of those assumptions early on. Um, and then, uh, uh, uh and then uh, the algorithm also kind of, uh, essentially, we had some problems converging, and that's why we have this anneal term as well because right. because uh, uh the this uncertainty or assumption early on doesn't necessarily hold exactly so then like if if we don't have the anneal term, you kind of have <laughs> it's the possibility, I guess, to get stuck there because the assumption was not this actually. So correct. anneal,
0: and anneal in some simple terms means you basically decrease the weight of some part of it yeah, during exactly. the training. During training,
2: like it's yes. moving, moving like more in the beginning and then like less later. Yeah, mm-hmm. in the space. <laughs> yes does
0: not make sense <laughs> <Sorry>. yeah they are <laughs> part, i think but i think uh, me and, and uh, some others are, are probably a bit confused still you know you have a huge number 90% of unlabeled data points mm-hmm. and you want to train on those mm-hmm. so you have some way of defining a loss for the unlabeled data points mm-hmm. but it's essentially
2: um, learning from like if you would only kind of train on on this specific data instead of this is specifically for fine tuning right mm-hmm. so but but if you uh, if you would only train on that like unlabeled data, you would probably have a more fine-tuned kind of uh, embedding to your case than you would otherwise anyway, right? Because the nomenclature in the text and everything would be kind of more geared towards your task, but you would just not be directed that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so you definitely learn from the entire set, mm-hmm. but then uh, you also learn from the difference between the positive and all of them. Like, right. so, so, so you under, like, the... Um, yeah. So,
0: so, are you like combining like a random part of the unlabeled with the set of positives or h- how do you calculate the, the loss for the unlabeled and the positives that you I'm Sorry, I didn't, I'm not sure. I got so, I mean, you need to, you have a data point in the mm-hmm. unlabeled part of the data set, mm-hmm. and then you need to calculate some loss somehow, and you need to combine that data point with something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, a, yeah right mm. because you're using the same architecture as the ESPERT, right mm. it's basically the oh, yeah, CS, it's, it, works,
2: it actually can work for more more architectures than that so but okay. we, we, are, we are using uh, in our models fine-tuning on ESPERT. yeah
0: yeah are you starting by the way on the pre-trained center uh, yes. or ah, okay so you're starting on a fine-tune and then or yeah already pre-trained that's what so that's the, yeah, exactly that was the
2: fine-tuning is yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yeah
0: and then you fine-tune it for your use case mm. by having positive labels I see. Cool. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of math as well in, in the paper, but I certainly <laughs> recommend people to, I haven't read it actually fully, so I, I don't know the, the part of it, but.
2: No, please do. And I, uh, I'm happy to answer questions I, if anybody has questions listening as well, like afterwards. <laughs> well, like we can even,
1: a we can even a post a link to the paper yeah. uh, in, in the comments field yeah. uh, if you help us with this, Kirill. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. But. <laughs> Just a, st- <coughs> a stupid question. So when you read a paper, this, mm. and you know, the math. I did this
0: h- and half an hour before. No, 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 no. no, no. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm, I'm not re- referring to this case. So it's the key to really to, to tap into a paper and to take value home from it and be able to do it yourself, like in your professional work. Mm. And is it to really try to understand the math which is in the paper? Is that what it's all about?
0: I mean, sometimes it really helps. I mean, for me at least, it's about building an, an intuitive model in my head. Yes. about What, Same for me. what, I, I what, what, what is words. the
1: logic? What, what is it? What are they trying to do? And what is the actual function solving mm-hmm. it, or algorithm solving mm-hmm. it? So for me, it would be to try to understand what
0: the difference is. Often it's, a, it's in terms of the loss function in some way yeah.
1: compared to the
0: previous approach, which is yeah. the sentence. Approach. So
1: let me, let me ask a general question now. Who is not the data scientist? scientist or a mathematician, what types of math are we talking about in this paper? What what is, okay, algorithms, fine, you know, but could we be a little bit more specific? What is the type of math we're talking about? Type of I don't know. Is it, is linear is it, algebra is, it, is it linear exactly. algebra? Yeah. Th- yeah? yeah. Is, yeah. Is, is that hardcore what what we're talking about as a mathematician?
2: I mean, it's always linear algebra in, <laughs> in regards to machine learning. I think. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, so that was a very stupid. I would question, have loved right?
2: it to be like group theory or something yeah. really cool, but it's uh, no. categorical
0: theory. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, uh, deep learning is really simple. It's about the matrix multiplication and then add some bias. Deep things. learning uh, is very that's, I, I, that's I will funny. quote
1: you on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a deep learning is very simple. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it,
2: it's also kind of part of that math that is easy to make a computer to
1: understand. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a computer. I, okay. So, what math is computer is good at and what math is computer is not good at more almost philosophical
2: I mean symbolic stuff in general is harder for yeah. computers right you do have engines that it ch- tries to handle symbolic stuff but uh, but algebra so, linear but is, it's but just kind of easy when you think about it like a computer is uh, based on essentially processing yeah. uh, arrays and, and matrices of numbers which is essentially what linear algebra is Well, yeah, okay. right. so I think um,
1: it's a simple yeah. answer linear, linear algebra
2: but you could definitely represent, like, other parts of math uh-huh. with, with those similar I mean, like you do re- vectors, and you, so
1: in some ways you're working in another space when you start yeah. combining. No, vectors is linear algebra, but it there is also
2: is this kind of calculus
0: kind of math, you know, with uh, ordinary differential equation kind of neural networks totally oh, right? Yeah, that yeah, there are right. coming in other types yeah. of maths yeah. as well, but normally it's just linear algebra, I, I would yeah. argue.
2: I mean it's very interesting with you. Like, that's a when good you good question I like, uh, got you going I like when it. you do like stochastic differential equations and stuff like that you still have to represent it like uh, in some way so uh, um, mm. with operations that usually kind of end Come up back. being trace <laughs> multiplication <for some> <laughs> it is right <laughs> It's both
0: beautiful but, and sad in some way. Yeah, yeah, but yeah.
1: but in the end, are we talking, this is more math than statistics? I mean, like statistical, uh, statistics is something else. So wh- wh- where do we draw the line between statistics and math?
0: What's the quote about uh, the difference between uh, machine learning and statistics? Uh, there is, uh, I don't recall the, the, the comment of it. it. It's something about, you know, ah, uh, uh, I don't know what to call it, software engineer versus statistics. Static- uh, I, I, I think I've seen it, but I don't know it. Someone that understands. I don't
2: know. Anyway, but, uh, yeah, yeah. But it's. Uh, I mean, uh, statistics is kind of also trying to, uh, you know, understand and describe things and uncertainty in a mathematical way, right? So, yeah. like, at least probability. actually, accurate.
1: actually, I think we had our guest Anders Brissel here, mm. who who explained this quite well. He was working in AstraZeneca. Mm. And basically well, he's, that's he was, very important there you know he's working he <laughs> but seriously he was working in one side where he was starting to uh, not in stockholm work on the machine learning part and then all of a sudden he, he moved and he sort of got into this he he was uh, like a machine learning guy that got sort of stuck in the middle of the statistical team right mm. and the outlook and you know and the whole approach to the problem is very, very different. How can you have the perfect sample? How can you have the perfect population? How can you understand the context? So they are, they are, they're working completely other types of problems. And he's like, ah, that is not really important if I go machine learning approach into this problem, which is completely then, mm-hmm. you know, trying to understand this is, two different worlds. Mm, mm. And I think he, I, I can't do it as well as I think he, he conveyed that quite well. If you look, if you look at that uh, podcast a couple of weeks back, yeah, do you, do you agree? Right. Mm, I think yes. he conveyed a good story here,
2: but it's uh it's pretty interesting. I think there is definitely uh inspiration to take from the classic statistics yeah. as well. Uh, I think it's great. With statistics. It's always like when you learn or read <laughs> statistics, there's always these kind of really, uh, weird brain fuck moments Mm. like when he's like what that doesn't make any sense like from a rational perspective But there's a lot of those kind of, you know, almost paradox examples where, like, to understand statistics. It's
0: also like like religion, almost like in programming, you know, you have different languages and Uh, it's a war on religious kind of war between different languages. Mm. And I would say the same in in, uh, statistics sometimes, you know, Bayesian versus (laughs) Holoquintus and whatnot.
2: You have the the different problems where, like, it's solvable in not one, but not necessarily the other. And, like, And it's also about assumptions. And where that kind of, what that kind of actually yeah. affects, right? Yeah, yeah. but, the,
1: but the, the, I saw some sort of this, disp- what is the deal with Bayesian? Because it's a little bit like the c- core example where like, if you go from one angle, you can solve it. But if you go from the other angle, it's like unsolvable. It's it's this whole flip of the coin. <laughs> you you know, the uh,
2: the deal with Bayesian's disease in general is that you have some kind of prior knowledge.
1: Yeah, right? there's, that, there's the whole point. If I if remove the prior knowledge, you shouldn't know anything. You need to... S-
2: but it's still mathematically possible to to, to kind of come up to a acer- certainty then. If you don't know something, then you can still represent that as a distribution. Yeah, but
1: here's where religion comes in that, you know, if you have the knowledge. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, <that's, laughs>
0: no, but well, like L2 re, um, uh, regularization can actually be seen as an equi- equivalent mm-hmm. part of, of having a prior as well. But right. I think a uh, difference... There is like
2: Bayesian Bayesian logistic regression as well, which is, does, does essentially the same thing, right? Yeah but still working
0: with distribution in mm. in general, mm. I think is a big difference when it comes to bayesian kind of reasoning
2: you have yeah. this uh, you have this German tank problem' a like a like, uh, very known type problem where bayesian statistics is nice right mm. where you uh where if you give in a serial mm. number like uh say that you have like two thousand and five uh, mm. then like how c- certain can you be about how many tanks there actually exists mm. uh. That was actually kind of World War Two kind of uh, uh, problem. problem that they needed to induce Bayesian statistics. <laughs> and, well.
0: and just to reveal how, how old I am, but you know, <laughs> when I, when you say Bayesian networks, so many people think Bayesian neural networks, mm-hmm. which is completely different from traditional kind of Bayesian networks that actually had probability theory as the core reasoning yeah. mathematics. And Bayesian neural networks mm-hmm. is just a gradient descent with a distribution. Bayesian of
2: Probabilistic graphical models, right, uh, or similar. To Which one? you are. mean, the Bayesian. For the first one,
0: yeah. Uh, Bayesian networks. Yeah, yeah. It is, it, there is no weights in that. No, so exactly. It, yeah. So the nodes is just conditional probability like, tables. Exactly. Yeah. And then they have proper probability rules. So then you have proper probabilities mm. in all the parts of it. Whereas neural networks, of course, is just an approximation. It's more like of it. mathematical
2: reasoning. And what happens when, well, if you know one value, then the distribution yeah. changes due yeah. to something.
0: Else. Super yeah. cool stuff, uh, really beautiful, but completely useless. Oh, sorry.
2: <laughs> 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 but it probably depends on
0: which problem you're kind of... Uh, like, I exaggerate uh, a bit, yeah. but, but, you know, it doesn't scale for large piece it doesn't of data. It scale. No, yeah, that, mm-hmm. That's the problem. Otherwise, you know, I loved it. I, I actually spent years with that in, for like 20 did, years ago.
2: I did use uh, hidden Markov models in uh, a bit, like, right? That yeah. was just like a simple example yeah. of that, yeah. right? Yeah. It's pretty cool. So, okay. We cool. are digressing. So,
0: yes. And it's fine. Way. Way. I love it, by the way. Yeah. What's up in the future when it comes to mother brain? Anything you can share what you're working with right now or what the long, more long term plans are?
2: And I think in, in, in general, uh, what we try to do is just kind of meet the deal teams where, where they want to uh, uh, kind of improve and be be more uh, kind of data-driven, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we are looking to do more kind of uh, um, experimental kind of things with them, understanding more uh, uh, potential different use cases that we could apply uh, AI to, mm-hmm. um, uh, expanding also to more business lines. So we'd like... Uh, uh, the, for example, the infra and the real estate parts, we haven't really kind of gotten our teeth into that much wow. yet. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. I mean, exactly. But still, you're keeping um, like the EQT kind of funds as the core customers, or are you thinking about expanding outside of EQT as well? Or? That was my question. Oh, sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was going to ask uh, exactly this. Good, good. The great mind thinker, like.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, the primary idea with a, with our tool is to make our investments better, right? Yeah, that's kind of that. primary. Pri- that's where actually where it pays back the most as well. Like so having some few payments. Pay so this is a competitive
1: rent- advantage mm-hmm. for equity. It's right. not something you're thinking about putting on the market. That has not been the strategy no. So you're going to kick ass in the market it's also not that?
2: been the strategy strategy when kind of acquiring data legally no, right yeah, yeah, like yeah. then you need to really it's That's definitely a different, doable but, but you it's need a different building kind of exactly that you need to redo balding. everything then in that sense so um yeah we have been discussing maybe maybe trying to make it available for like portfolio companies which mm-hmm. is, uh which could potentially make them smarter as well, right? That would yeah, but be cool. You, you, like are, there the, make, the you are there to make, you are
1: there, mother it. brain is there to make EQT smarter. That's the core. Yeah, that's, that's the, core. the core. That's the core. I like it.
0: Mm-hmm. Brain of EQT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mother mm-hmm. brain of EQT. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to avoid going to the more classical kind of philosophical topics here. And um we should find another one, another angle. Um, Let me ask a- you a
1: question. Mm. what is your sort of uh, do you have any passions or hobbies or something like that which is sort of data or sort of math related or something or, or, or completely different that is sort of a big part of who you are
2: I mean uh, you must consider that I'm a dad uh, yeah, right. uh, having a 3 that's year old hobby. and a 6 year old yeah that's, that's definitely hobby. my hobby and uh, uh, as i mentioned to you guys before also right, like the football
1: code, right so now yeah. you have you have a new uh, you have again you can start Putting something on your CV quite soon now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, what coach, right? <laughs> football coach as well,
2: and then the, and then the, the synthesizer interest is yeah, obviously yeah. taking a lot of uh, kind of effort and time. Um, uh, but football nice. coach. Uh, yeah, the football coach. We, we well. do, we do yeah. two minutes
1: on football coach.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my daughter, my daughter plays football uh in Tabu, uh, where we live, and then uh, uh, I mean, I just realized that I was a very very active dad standing on the sideline <laughs> <like, laughs> and screaming and you know been there, in you. in the best possible way i just think but i was i was very much more kind of engaged than anybody else and then uh, then she actually asked me like why would why don't you want to be a dad like a, a coach Ooh, uh, like and hard. i was like uh, Ooh. yeah I, maybe I do actually like, yeah. oh, sorry. Yeah, but connecting that,
0: that to you know becoming a coach in some way is um, interesting you have to have you know some kind of more people skills in being able to do that
2: mm-hmm.
0: and potentially it also connects to how to run a company in some way mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you want to scale up and you want to I'm not sure if you managing
2: are, kids is definitely harder than leadership people, of you know. kids <laughs> I'm
0: not sure actually <laughs> no no, no, no. <laughs> Just <mostly joking>. yeah <laughs> But uh, what do you think about, you know, how, it, it's one thing to coach the, the football team with your kids, etc. Mm-hmm. And it's another thing also potentially, or it could be the same, to manage a startup and to manage a team of data scientists or have like a cross, cross-functional cross team that mm. can deliver quickly. Totally. Do you think there is some kind of learnings you can do by being a fo- football coach that you can apply for <laughs> how to run Motherbrain?
2: I I hope so I mean um, I I think one of the things that I think is the the most important in leading a team and I mean it's slightly different depending on the company structure and stuff right but Mm -hmm. it's like getting a really nice culture where people feel safe and then Mm -hmm. they can kind of you know be themselves because happy somebody that's happy and kind of be feeling secure and kind of having fun together, uh, solving problems—that's super powerful, right? And I think that's very common, uh, kind of to what you do when you're when you're playing football as a right. team, right? You need to work together. You need to have fun. You need to feel secure. You need to know that somebody else has your back. Mm-hmm. Right?
1: Oh, yeah. I think I think that statement is profound. I've been I've been a soccer dad coach for a while with uh, and and then uh,
2: you're so much more experienced than me. Yeah, yeah you know, I am.
1: But but now. but yeah. and and so my my boys are now fifteen, thirteen, and eleven. Yeah, and my uh, my my oldest guy, I started with them and I, you know five five years old, right? Mm, mm. And the the main thing that is a learning curve for for you as a soccer coach is that. When you look at it, uh, at, it at, a, at a team of children, right? And they are maybe eight to 10 years old. Mm. You have some of the guys or people in the uh, g- g- boys or girls Ooh. in the team, which are sort of super cocky and mm. they've been mm. playing football their whole life mm-hmm. and they just dominate, right? Mm. I mean, like because they have some skills because they played when they were three, right? Mm. And then you have some other kids on the, on, on, on the court that at that point in time hasn't really touched the ball so far. Mm. So they're a little bit insecure. And 80, 90% of the performance of the team is in, is in the head, right? That, oh, I'm not so good. So I don't really want to participate. Want to
2: try. Yeah. You know, so mm. you
1: see half the team is running like hell. You know, it's equally, especially funny when they're five years old <laughs> and then they're, <laughs>
2: my daughter is six, uh, uh, six, is, but they're, they're like a swarm, like, yeah, a swarm, right? A swarm around the world.
1: But yeah. then you see a couple of the kids, they're not participating. Mm. They are, they are ex, they're spectators. Mm. And in reality, I had a really profound understanding w- looking at my children, which are very, very different, right? And in, in terms of uh, how their progression in sports has been. Mm-hmm. My middle son was for a long time, both in football and floorball, this is a long rant now, but I think it's important. I love it. It's I, um, I'm
2: learning so much. Yeah but, yeah, but
1: he was a little bit like, didn't really care likes to play uh, games and like Minecraft more mm. and he and and for a long time he had really low self-esteem because he couldn't really he didn't have the technique right mm. and I was trying to say to him like look man mm-hmm. no one what everybody's being frustrated is if you don't try If you go out and and work like hell and if you are the pain in the ass so the 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 competitors or like your opponent can't come you know if you lose the ball they 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 fool you but then you run like hell to take the ball back Mm. everybody will have full respect Mm. and then you do that and you go to every training your technique will improve and then he he turned like he's now 13 and this was a massive shift like two or three years ago in floorball where I could see when he, a little bit like you, he's running half ass after the opponent or trying a little bit, but only a little bit from the side. And something happened where he basically decided when the ball is running down that I am the guy who's going to be first in the corner on that ball. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I mean, like, so the mindset shift to it's my ball. Mm-hmm. It happened somewhere two years ago. And That's then his, cool. his progression in terms of sports, like, and I talked to his coaches, I was coaching him when I was younger and mm. not anymore. It was really a spike, right? Mm. And what is the core lessons learned? It's to have, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps from <laughs> all speak now because it's a little bit like, it's down, sorry, it's down to c- creating the uh, the trust in each other and the trygghet, uh, uh, Conf- safety. Safety, yeah. the safety in the team that we can talk about everything, the safety in the team to try, mm. the safety in the team to innovate and try mm. and do your best, mm. fail and go and get and, and everybody. And totally, if you don't have that totally safety, that. Yeah. And, and this is a profound connection then between innovation and teams mm. and kids and sports, mm. in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Huge.
2: Yeah. I, I totally agree. And I mean, um, just. Feeling safe enough to be able to fail things yeah. is like super important for innovation. I think, and I, I, my old boss Daniel you, like uh, uh, was really clear on this. I think, and I mean, uh, he set set the culture in our teams to be to be that like early on, like a very safe safe space where it's where we're allowed to kind of pursue things that we think are interesting, and also kind of sharing failure and being kind of proud that we tried. I think it's uh, it's great
1: but but we talked a lot about how important it is to infuse r and d and innovation in companies mm. and right and we we've seen that like all all the big tech giants that are putting huge money on this, mm. but maybe this is also a mindset topic you know to have have the culture to fail fast and all this kind of stuff and the safe and that means safeness to to fail in some i if yeah, perhaps one question mm-hmm. that we
0: could try to f- phrases what is leadership to you and, and leadership i don't mean like being having the the managing responsibility rather than actually being someone that can be a role model or actually be someone that mentors other people to make the best of their potential so yeah. to speak and that okay. i think
2: that's essentially what it is right yeah. facilitating that uh, possibility yeah. uh, that's definitely super important i think it's both kind of um uh, kind of creating the space where, where people can try uh, and also kind of giving them recognition when it happens. Right. I think that's super important and like uh, sharing uh, the wins. Like,
0: uh. Do you think that applies also in, in Mother Brain in some way or just in general for building teams that are successful? How would you build that kind we'll of go. self-esteem, I guess, or the idea that you can actually, I guess, fail? The safety,
1: in, I think is... yeah. I mean, yeah, we've
2: done, we've done a lot of things, I think, over the years that, that doesn't necessarily fly, right? Mm-hmm. I think you need, you have to do that. I mean, you need to try things and it's kind of, it's a great idea, I guess, in some sense, but it just didn't really translate well to how other people think about the problem or, mm-hmm. or it didn't really work out in the first mm-hmm. place, right? Um, uh, I think that's, uh, super, super important, uh, sorry i kind of lost your question a bit now I
0: no, i'm trying to think i i would argue at least that mm. in especially in data science and if you want to have some kind of agile kind of mentorship or leadership mm. you need to have people that uh, have the courage to take their initiatives without fearing the uh, the scrutiny i guess of some kind of boss or someone that is going mm. to punish them for taking initiatives and and i think it it needs
2: it needs to even be encouraged right that you do take initiatives like uh, i think the the worst kind of culture Culture. that i I think you can foster is that you're like have to do it in a specific way and you're not really allowed to think outside of the box because that's like obviously then it's not something that someone that is interested in a subject would thrive in right Mm -hmm. because they need to kind of Think about problems, innovate, kind of try something. And that's what drives them and think that makes their work like interesting to them. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's, that's, uh, that needs to be, um, that needs to be the general kind of uh, culture in a team, especially in a team that has to innovate a, a lot anyway. Right? And I think that's um,
0: especially true in, in AI. And sometimes we've spoken about the difference between AI engineering or building AI based systems versus traditional software engineering systems. Yeah. And trying to build a mobile app, you know, that can be challenging, of course, in yeah. itself. But I would argue the more data driven an application becomes, the more experimental the, you need to. Yeah. Do. The harder it is to predict if it will work or not. Yeah. You have to be exp- experimental. You have yeah. to do a lot of experimentation and you never know until you tried it with the data you actually have. Uh, if it will work or not. No, exactly. Because right.
2: you, it's harder to guarantee that yeah. because you like you kind of have an assumption to start with but rather than the other way.
1: Around. But I argue you're touching now one of the core problems or root causes why corporates have a hard time to innovate mm. because their core steering model, budget model mm. is plan driven. And it has all to do with that. They are in the mature life cycle of whatever they are doing mm. And then they're re- you're relying on plan-driven approaches, supply and demand, right? Mm. How many trucks do we sell? Mm. How do we plan our production, right? Mm. For the next year. Yeah, for yeah. the next year. And basically, they have forgotten what it was to be a pioneer 100 years ago because mm. they have the data and the trend and the way we set budgets now. People are doing all these elaborate ideas of how you budget and plan, but someone at head office could basically say, I, I say 5% up or 5% down, due to macroeconomics and from a plan driven economy, they will actually be quite accurate on this. Now to take that culture model into hypothesis driven steering that, you know, I'm starting a project and I now need to have a systematic approach to fail fast and cheap. Mm But I, but I need to have a funnel of crazy ideas mm. and I need to have a systematic approach to do that because to be completely crazy will not work when you have all these constraints of the corporate.
0: And if you don't fail fast with having crazy ideas, you will lose up. You money. will fuck <laughs> You, up. Lose you lose will fuck it up. Right. So, <laughs> and
1: the problem now is that. The big corporates are going plan-driven into these topics, and they spent huge amount of money on wild goose chases. Whereas a couple of simple questions and a good lean startup venture cap model would have killed those ideas fast. Mm. So I think this is this is you're talking about the core models that I'm trying to in, in, implement in the companies I'm working with right now, which I think now is a prerequisite to get the arena to succeed.
0: Mm. Perhaps one last question before we move into, yeah, uh, final question would be mother brain today tries to identify companies that are successful in some way Mm -hmm. with whatever indicators and signals you can find. Do you think there will be a point in the future where you can switch that question to say, I have this company, I want to make you successful? I
2: want to generate a startup from. from No, not really. (laughs) But but let's say
0: you invested in a company. Yeah. And you now want to guide them and make them successful because yeah. you already made the investment. Yeah. And you want to identify, you know, why like one year later, it's still not proceeding. Mm. It's not succeeding in some way. Mm. Could you potentially use AI to guide or understand? Totally. You totally. Think
2: so? Yeah, totally. And I think we're partly already doing that. Like it's uh, uh, the, the kind of EQT business model in general is to be an active owner, right? So mm-hmm. it kind of help the companies become great right. over the owning period and and continue to be great after that so we kind yeah. of you know sell it to someone else that will kind of also uh, right. uh think it's a great company but uh, uh, uh and, and i think part of that is like of course identifying companies that are that are good early on but then like during the holding period you can do so much so much more like that's definitely something that we can uh, expand on more as well but in general just kind of having a Understanding for the space around the company, like what other companies are doing the same thing, right? What, and learn from them, yeah. They exactly, learn from them, <laughs> right? Like what, uh, what, how, how is kind of uh, trends moving over time, and mm-hmm. what, what uh, what um, kind of uh, are other investors doing? Like, did, like we we put all our money on or not all our money, but some of our money like into this startup, right? And really. Uh, thought that they would kind of become become something and then suddenly we see that a lot of money is going into someone else doing something that's super important information, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's being part of the whole uh, thing. And then I think uh, also uh, helping out in potential kind of uh, benchmarking and how they are growing. Right, like right, what, right. Like yeah, the, when you own the company, you get a lot more data about mm. how they're actually operating internally and and then you can also kind of Uh, use that data to to compare against other companies like how they're doing, like are they putting enough on sales or development or how could they kind of steer towards the goal that they're going to do. Because
1: what you're talking about about now is the the trajectory of growing the Mother Brain feature set or Mm. service is on the one hand side into different types of investment categories Mm. and then on the other hand, following the investment life cycle.
2: Yes. Yep. I mean, uh, we have traditionally been very kind of early in the, tra- in, yep. the in the cycle. Uh, but o- also from the larger funds, like when we're talking about buying companies of like a, a, a billion or something, right? They're pretty big. So, uh, uh, then there is not that many companies that you could potentially source, right? Uh-huh. So the sourcing gets a little bit less important. That's a life cycle. But, but the diligence, like uh-huh. up to uh-huh. the actual deal is still super important and being right. fast and accurate about that and kind of, Essentially, kind of understanding uh, whether or not to invest in the company st- is still super important, and then also, as you said, like the the, the owning period and the life cycle.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I guess we cool could path. continue for a long time to more, but um, time is uh, out and, and over, and. Um, I guess the next question is basically, William, what's next in your life? What's happening? I think you answered it partly because coach. you're you working. or it's a new learning? thing. Like,
2: you, like, you had a lot of experience. I mean, like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So the Talk
0: synthesizer and the football coach and, and whatnot, do you have any, how are you going to progress with the synthesizer? What's What's your plan to become a grandmaster in?
2: I, I would have, I would want to some get at some point actually produce a song, right, and not just noise. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I mean, we I we start a little that little journey better. right after. Right after. Yeah, exactly. kind of, let's start now. I think
0: you should have answered. You know, the best way to become better in in, in, uh, in a synthesizer is to join the After work In yeah, of course, our, right? of course, of course, because that is what we're going to do. If right I soon. knew this,
1: I would have asked you to bring your kit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 maybe next time. Yeah. Next time.
0: Cool. Then anyone that you would recommend to join this podcast that you would like to listen to here? Um, um, uh,
2: sorry, I'm throwing a blank now. I kind of mm-hmm. had it prepared, but I don't know why. It's just okay. kind of lost, lost it. No worries. I'll, um, I'll get back to you on that. Yeah, yeah, sure. But what do you think more
0: tech people? Because we have this kind of balance between, should it more be business-related people, more tech people, more Politic- academic people, Politic- politicians? Politicians, I mean.
2: That would be super interesting, I think. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, Also, from a kind of a sustainability angle, like what's happening in the world now, like how can AI kind of potentially help in in driving sustainability change and kind of improving the world? That would be
0: great. Sustainable development, kind of thing. Yeah, I hear. Matthias Lindahl is coming (laughs) soon. Yeah. Okay. Man, awesome. Uh, William, it's been a true pleasure to have you here, principal data scientist in EQT and uh, so many interesting topics here in trying to use AI together with humans, mm. right, to really bring the best of AI.
1: And I loved it, eclectic, synthesizers, leadership, mm-hmm. nerdy papers <laughs> heading in <laughs> math, yeah. math stuff. Yeah.
2: And some uh, some some engineering stuff and some as well, engineering yeah.
1: stuff as well, tech but actually, take stacks, yeah. stacks and then the math. Oh.
0: Yeah, I'm eager thanks. to go to the after after work now. Yes. So let's close it. Yes. And uh,
3: thanks once uh, once again. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. Awesome. It was great. Thank you very much. Yeah.